Yo, sup? Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate. Please, please, please help us to help the world with reason and evidence and good arguments and better parenting and better relationships and more productive people and more critical thinkers what the world so desperately needs. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate. Please follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and you can use our affiliate link at FDRURL.com slash Amazon. Don't forget FDR Podcast to help share the show. And of course, YouTube.com slash FreeDomainRadio to help share the videos. So here, I had a long and great conversation with a Hispanic Trump supporter who feels, uh, I guess you could say, just a little alienated from his friends and family because of his support for Trump. And, you know, everyone's always saying, let's have an honest conversation about race. Well, stuff got real. And uh, it was really illuminating. And I really thank him for his uh, honesty and courage for calling in. A great conversation. Number two. You ever notice that people sometimes can be a little bit afraid of and suspicious of corporations and seem to trust the government a little more? Well, the caller said, well, why should I trust the private sector over the government? Aren't corporations corrupt as well? And that was a great question. Last caller, um, a patient's test, I guess you could say. I'm not sure I succeeded. His argument was that modern women are bad and that's why he's not married in his early 40s. Well, let's just say we may have unpacked some things that might not be entirely the fault of women. So uh, I'm an equal opportunity holder of people to moral agency. So uh, that was very interesting. How you can get a great partner was discussed as well. So I hope you'll find that helpful. Here we go. All right. Up first, we have Edward. Edward wrote in and said, where do I fit in when I'm a Hispanic who supports Donald Trump, doesn't support socialist programs, doesn't approve of illegal immigrants, or opening our borders during the migrant crisis? I feel like an alien in my anti-Trump Hispanic group of family and friends. That's from Edward. Hello, Edward. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, thanks. Um, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. All right. Good. All right. Do, do give me the backstory here. This sounds like a character that needs some, some history. So how did, this, uh, how did this all come about for you? Uh, it's a long story of a lot of like flip flopping, like between liberal and conservatives and friends, like uh, conversations and debating. Um, I'm a type of person who likes to debate a lot. Like I like to like talk about any political topics and and any kind of like situation that's going on in the world. And um, little by little, has kind of been leading me towards you, basically. Um, and at first, it started off with a lot of liberal like socialist things like oh man it'd be great to have like free this and free that and it's just started to all make sense that like we can't have free everything and free this and free that that but um, it's, it's always funny to me how everybody who says we ought to have free stuff to me it's like okay then go give it for free yeah we ought to have free health care okay become a doctor and don't charge people yeah we ought to have free education okay good then start providing it for free. It's almost like when people say we ought to have free stuff, they mean I want other people to work for nothing. They never mean I want to work for nothing. Other people should work for nothing. Give me free stuff. And that's what it always translates to me. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've come uh, to basically understand. Because, uh, in fact, like because of the fact that I'm in deeply in like the Hispanic culture and uh, Latinos and everything, I've gotten to see both sides of the world. Like it's it's always been like I've never really fit in with like the Latino and Hispanic culture. I've always been kind of like the oddball, like the the Oreo of like the group. 
Like, um, and when it comes to like me talking to people, like, hey, like we don't really need this. Like we were once like a proud people. Like we were supposed, we came here, uh, worked our butts off, like worked like several jobs, like my father did, and um, we like busted our asses to get these these homes. But now everybody seems to have like shift to like a completely different mindset, and it's like I don't know where, where it's all gone. Well, you you probably do, right? Which is that there's more free government cheddar, so mice ain't hunting anymore, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, it's it's really hard to like, especially when I uh, speak to my father. Like, um, he uh, has always like been telling me, "Hey, like, do this, do that. Like, stay in school. Like, do, like, like, do do good for yourself. Like, I don't want you to be where I'm at." And um, now I'm at the point where basically I've succeeded my father, like in in pay and knowledge and all these other things. But everybody who I know has kind of like stayed behind. Like I haven't seen people really progress. Like everybody's kind of like just sitting back and just letting it all like like come in and out. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't mean to be overly white, but I don't know what that last part meant. They're all sitting back and letting things come in and out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I mean is, are you by... referring to Hispanic ladies in particular, or is there something <laughs> I'm not aware about in terms of urban slang? Probably is quite a bit, in fact. Well, it's kind of like. Like the mentality, especially in my generation, like people are just like, you know, I'll deal with it when I'll deal with it. Like, oh, it's like I'll, I'll get the money for the house when I get the money for the house. Like, oh, when I, or when I need the house, or when I get a family, or when this and that. But it's never like, hey, let me like worry about this tomorrow. Like, hey, let me uh make the savings for tomorrow. Like, or hey, let me pay off this thing for tomorrow so I don't have to worry about it tomorrow. And it's like never really. Like that, it's always been the opposite of like, hey, it's passive, right? Yeah, it's like passive, our selected, our selected behavior. Where, of course, I mean, if if you rely on, say, the government or welfare or whatever it is to provide for your survival, then of course you're going to be passive because stuff's just rolling your way, right? Yeah, exactly. And and then what happens is, <laughs> well, tell me uh, what I've noticed. Edward, tell me if this is the case for you. What happens then is there's a, a huge cultural shift. And the cultural shift is you need to chill, man. Why are you getting so uptight about everything? It suddenly becomes cool to chill, to not stress out, to not work so hard. You're like a hamster in a wheel. You're going to join the rat race. you got to relax. You're shortening your lifespan. And it becomes, instead of being a hustler, which I think is a really great word. I love that word, hustler, you know, like obviously not the <laughs> vaguely criminal connotations, but the, the, the getting up early and, and working hard and to carry hustling, making money, uh, getting the cheddar. I love that kind of ambition. And when I was a kid, that was pretty well rewarded. Like when I got my first job, when I got my first job in a bookstore when I was 11, and people weren't saying to me, what are you crazy? You got to get up at six o'clock on a Sunday morning to go to work in a bookstore? relax, you're going to be out late, you know, what are you doing? And so this whole shift happens where suddenly it just becomes a fool's game to work hard and all the cool people get all Jamaican, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's it's been killing me because, like, I've been trying to tell these people, I've been trying to have these conversations, but, like, everybody's the opposite. It's like... Like no man, let's just just don't worry about it. Like it's just gonna be what it is. Like oh, like the the government's gonna always be corrupted. The politicians are all the same. Like nothing can be changed. So like let's just vote for whoever can give us the best stuff. Right. 
Right. Okay. Bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy is like all the people who post, Europe is doomed. There's no point. Okay. Well, if you believe that, then (laughs) I guess it's true. Uh, So yeah, the politicians are always going to be liars and corrupt. So let's just vote for the lying and corrupt politicians. Hey, I think you just created a market incentive called voting. (laughs) So yeah, politicians are all the same, but Trump, totally evil. That's yeah. Different. So it, yeah, and uh, I, I've been listening a lot to your show, like uh, especially with the past few um, episodes that you've released, like with the. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, how did you find us to begin with? It's it was basically a trail. Like I I started off with stuff like uh like the Daily Show, and then I started, then I kind of sh- walked away from that from the mainstream stuff. I found things online like YouTube, um, like the the Young Turks and all those other guys, but. Little by little, I started seeing like what they were for the, what they were being, seeing them for what they really were. So I kept progressing past that, and then uh, just one of these days, it's like your your face just showed up in my <laughs> my YouTube uh, list, and I was like, oh, who's this guy? He's he has an interesting topic. Why why is there an ostrich egg with teeth showing up in my <laughs> YouTube feed? Okay, uh, and it was it was really hard to like watch your videos. Like it was it it honestly it put me through. A depression for a little while because why what would you remember which ones you started with um it started with the 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 what's going on with the like overseas like with migrant crisis um it started oh, right, with that yeah. and then it started with the economy like um and how the economy is coming close to like basically just falling apart on itself so then I was thinking to myself, I was like, hey, I'm putting all this hard work and, and doing all these things, but it feels like there's so many people working against me, even in the political system, like, and uh, the people are just trying to, like, take away what I've been working so hard for. And it's just, the more I, I, I watch your videos, the more I see that, like, there's, like, fewer and fewer people that have that kind of mindset of, like, work hard and you get what you deserve. And, um, but, it, like... Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Trust me, my friend, everybody gets what they deserve, <laughs> whether you work hard or not. Like your your layabout companions there who are like, hey, ID man, what's going to happen? It's gonna, right? They're going to get what they deserve too. I mean, everybody gets paid one way or another. That's true. Yeah. But, like sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but go, go ahead. No, it's okay. Like, um, so I, I've been basically looking through all your videos and um, it's really – it was really hard to talk to people about these subjects, like just to, even like to post something on Facebook to say like, hey, I support Trump or or hey, um, I don't believe like illegal immigrants should come into the U.S. Like and I have a, a whole lot of reasons why I definitely don't believe why uh, illegal immigrants should be coming into the U.S. And it's like firsthand experience with them. Um, yeah, where, where, where are the sanctuary cities for people who don't want to pay federal income tax? Exactly. You know, what about just, hey, I don't like these laws, so I'm just not going to obey them. And then everyone's like, woohoo, good, you shouldn't obey them because bloody blood. It's like, where are the big giant states or big giant sanctuary cities where you just don't have to pay your income tax? <laughs> I mean, no, you can disobey the laws of citizenship, and then you got all these sanctuary cities. But if you don't want to pay your taxes, off to jail with you or your alimony. Yeah. It's uh, like. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was like, especially like my firsthand experience with illegal immigrants and um, and racism entirely. Um, and what the weirdest thing about it is like, uh, like you keep talking about IQ and and how yeah, like the more IQ, the more sincere the person is, and the more apologetic they are. 
And the more and more that becomes true for me as as I look back in my life, like uh, for example, um, my father he had a business in like the hot center for like all illegal immigrants and and Mexicans of alike, and um, and basically you would get these guys that come in and they would give you these paperwork and everything. They would finance something and then when it comes time to pay up, like they moved and they're gone and they, you never know like who they were to begin with. And it's, it's always been an experience like that with me with illegal immigrants. And it's just, I don't like, I don't understand why people like are so adamant about like standing up for them because I don't see anything positive coming from like, I, like I see like what you were mentioning before, like where, money gets funneled out of the U.S. like you uh, through like Western Union and and that's that's something I thought that was normal while I was growing up. I thought that. Oh, that you was- mean so like the the Hispanics would get money from from welfare or from work or something like that and funnel it back to Mexico to keep others um, sheltered and fed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was just like a normal thing. Like they, that's what everybody would do. Like like 80% of their paycheck would just be gone to another country. Like you would never see it again. And like, I never really put the two and two together and realized what that was doing. And, um, as more and more of that, like started, uh, coming together for me, like I started realizing that illegal immigrants are definitely a, a huge issue for the, for the U S and even though I have like Mexican friends and I know some people who are illegal, like I do not support what they go, what the, what they are doing to this country. And when I when I when I speak out loud about it, I get like I don't know. It's like kind of weird. Like they want to call me racist, but they look at me and they see me. I'm Hispanic, and they're like, "Oh, you're just ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about." Like it's just like like you. It's just like Trump is a racist. Like they they kind of go around me and call him a racist. But but Hispanic is not a race. <laughs> I mean that's what's so funny about it. Um, and but culturalist is a problem, right? I mean I think it's fair to say that there's a Mexican culture. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that all Mexicans are the same. I get that. But, the, you know, there is a Mexican culture. And that Mexican culture is complex. There's some variation to it, but it is not the same as what would generically be called sort of WASP American culture. There are differences. Now, there's German culture, there's British culture, there's Hispanic, Mexican culture, and, and that's bad. So saying that I have, if somebody says, I have issues with certain aspects of the Mexican culture, then it's very difficult to know how to label someone who criticizes culture, right? So, I mean, if you criticize a religious belief system, then you are critical of a belief system, right? You 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 say it should be open to examination and unpacking and criticism. If there are certain cultural aspects that you criticize in a particular culture, yeah, are you racist for criticizing culture? Well, of course not, because culture is something that can be adopted by people not of any particular race. You know, there are the Uyghurs, right? like the white kids who act want to act like rappers or whatever, right? So you can uh, uh, appro- appropriate particular cultural aspects, which has nothing to do with race whatsoever. Now, that having been said, uh, so, so sorry, but just, so it's hard to say, well, you're criticizing a culture because that's a perfectly valid thing to do. The whole point of philosophy is to criticize culture because culture is not philosophy. And so there is some opposition and some tension between culture and philosophy. And when culture gets criticized according to first principles, reason and evidence, 
it moves closer to philosophy and, and that therefore gets improved in the same way that if you criticize faith um, using the scientific method, hopefully you budge people over further from faith to science, which is a rational, better state of mind. But when you criticize a culture, like let's say, I don't like this about the Mexican culture, I don't like this about the Mexican system of government, I don't like, like this about, say, Mexican voting patterns, in, in right? So the Mexican voting patterns are very clear in the... Um, in the American elections, right? 2000, George W. Bush took 35% of Hispanic vote. Uh, Al Gore took 62%. So a little under uh, double. Uh, in 2004, 40% for Bush, 58% for John Kerry in 2008, 31% for McCain, 67% for, his, uh, for Obama. In 2012, 71% of Hispanic vote went to Obama and um, Mitt Romney got 27%. And there's a new poll that has Trump at 28% support with uh, Latinos. And I know we're Mexican, Latino, Hispanic. We're, we're creating a big mess linguistically, but, you know, <laughs> hopefully people will forgive me for that. But um, so when you criticize a culture or you criticize beliefs held by a large group of people, you're just criticizing those beliefs. You're not criticizing every individual. You're not saying every individual in that geographical region holds those beliefs, but you're criticizing those beliefs that are held by a lot of people in that geographical region. Now, if you can't pin it on race, then you're, you know, someone who criticizes Mexican culture, well, um, like, you know, if you, if you look at blacks, you say, well, they have a culture of single parenthood, they have a culture of fatherlessness, and they often have a kind of anti-intellectual, don't act white culture, which is sort of hostile towards self-improvement, economic advantage, and education, and so on. Well, is that racist? No, you're criticizing ideas. You would criticize any group that held those particular ideas. If those particular ideas were held by gypsies, you would criticize those ideas. If they were held by Australian aboriginals or Sherpas uh, in the Himalayas, you would, you would be criticizing them. But, you know, if you, if you don't like single motherhood, clearly you would focus your criticism on the group that most manifests single motherhood. What you're criticizing is single motherhood. The group that most manifests it may be a racial group for a variety of reasons, but... Once people can try and pin your criticisms not on behavior patterns or thought patterns or approaches or patterns of, of reflection, but if they can just pin it on a race, well, what happens is they got this magic wand to dismiss everything that you're saying because they just get to wipe the board clean, the whiteboard, I guess, <laughs> in this instance, the whiteboard. They get to wipe the whiteboard clean. And what that means is white people can't criticize any group other than white people. Hey, it's a great, great deal for uh, bad thinkers and other groups. But um, there is criticisms to be made of um, Latino culture, of Hispanic culture, of Mexican culture. And it is actually racist to say that criticism should not be made of those cultures because uh, there may be a racial element. Because that's saying... You cannot criticize Mexicans. You cannot criticize Mexican culture, just to pick an instance. You can't criticize Mexican culture because there may be a racial disparity between the white person and the Mexican person who's being, or the Mexican culture that's being criticized. What that means is that if you are white, it is impossible for you to criticize any other culture where there may be a potentially racial element. And that is incredibly racist because it's saying because there's a racist element, I'm sorry, because there's a racial element, criticism cannot be, be applied. 
And that elevates race above reason, above evidence, above criticism, and that is incredibly racist. So um, as far as, you know, the, the, I'll do a tiny little rant and then we'll, sorry, <laughs> we'll get back to it. Here's my tiny little rant. I would like not to live in a world where we had to make collective judgments about other cultures and other races. However, in order to do that, other cultures and other racists would have to stop acting so differently. Right? I mean, immigrant welfare usage by sort of origin geography, right? Natives uh, in America, not American sort of American Indians, but natives, uh, regular old Americans, 30%. Central America and Mexico, 73%. Europe, 26%. South Asia, 17%. Okay, 17% for South Asians, use of welfare, versus 73% for Central America and Mexico. Now, I don't know if anyone expects a, a sane human being who can count to not notice that that is a Fast, enormous, staggering multiple of difference. South Asians, the welfare consumption, 17%. Central America, Mexico, 73%. Now that's a, was it a quarter? I mean, that's, so if you have one group using welfare at a quarter of the rate, the other group, or the other group four or so times more, are we not allowed to make any collective judgments about groups that act collectively extremely difficultly, uh, extremely differently? I don't know. Like, I don't, people who say, well, you can't do that, I don't know like how insane they are that they just can't count. I mean, look, if all groups were using welfare at the rate of 20%, every single group, 20% or close, you know, like within a polling era of a couple of percentage points. So everybody, South Asians, Europeans, natives, Central America, Mexicans, all using welfare at 20%. And you said, I can't stand the way that the South Asians use welfare. Well, there would clearly be some bigotry because they're acting the same, but you're singling out a particular group. However, if the groups aren't acting the same, <laughs> then you have a reason to judge a particular group because they're not acting the same. And then what people say, <laughs> what they say is, ah, yes, but they're only acting differently because of racism. <laughs> It's like, and that, how do you win that? How do you, how do people know? Like, how do, do Central America, like Mexicans, like they come across the border and they say, ooh, I don't really want to go on welfare, but I think there are some people who might be racist here, and because of that, I'm going on welfare. <laughs> like, I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all, at all. You can't judge groups for their behaviors, but whites, who generally try to avoid racism and, and even are self-racist. Well, whites are racist, okay? So you can judge all whites as racists and all men as patriarchs and whatever, whatever, right? But when there are clear, huge, massive differences in the way that groups behave in American society, you can't make any collective judgments. And I say, if I, I say, hey, you close down these numbers, I'll stop making collective judgments, but I have to be an empiricist. Yeah. That's see that's that's what kills me about this whole thing is that like like oh like yeah white people can't make judgment but like for example my, one of my biggest gripe is like uh, black women in general they can make all the kinds of judgments that they want on anybody and get away with it like I, I've literally had people tell me oh black people can't be racist like it's impossible and I'm like how can <laughs> how can they not be racist like I've I, like the most amount of racism that I've like gotten from is actually from like the black community. 
I've had uh, a black woman who went to our, our store and she was upset about uh, a product. And so we explained it to her. We we're very polite with her and everything. And she told us like, oh, I'm tired of you Mexicans like, like coming into our country and taking everything we got and our jobs. Like, oh, you should just go back on your boat and go back wherever you came from. And it just like threw me back. I was mm. like, like that was the most like craziest moment I've ever experienced in my life. And I, like, I was like, it, like that was like the first time I've ever experienced like, like racism, like full on. And wow, you, you got to try being white for a day if you really want to <laughs> like, see racism full on. I hate to pull that. I hate to pull the blue eyed card, but uh, you know, be, be white. Just imagine being white and picking up the Huffington Post or picking up the New York Times or picking up like there's a mainstream, which is to say leftist stuff. And um, uh, Tommy Sotomayor is a, a YouTuber who's got a pretty interesting experiment he runs from time to time. So what he does is he he puts a picture of a beautiful black woman on Facebook, and he says, black women are the most beautiful women in the world. And what do you think people say? Amen. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Absolutely. More weaves, right? I mean, they, they, they love it, right? And he can do this with other groups, right? He can put Indian uh, women on, and Indian women, the most beautiful women in the world. And oh, yeah, they are beautiful, right? And then what he does is he takes a picture of a Swedish woman and he says, white women are the most beautiful women in the world. And what happens? Racism. <laughs> oh, God, the comments fill up with vile, bile, bilious, hideous comments of racism. And like, it's insane. The, the racism that white people, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. The one of the you, know, as you can be a you can be a proud Hispanic, right? Yeah. Can can I be a proud white person? Yeah. No, can't oh. be a proud white person. You can be a proud black man, and that's great. You can be a proud Chinese man. You can be a proud Hispanic man. Proud of your culture. Proud of your heritage. If I go out and say I, a square jawed blonde, blue eyed man, am very proud of white culture and white history, what's everyone going to say? Uh, Nazi youth. <laughs> Yeah, skinhead, Nazi, <laughs> white supremacist. It's like, so, you, you know, the, the degree of – people don't understand. I hate to say this. It's hard to understand if you're not white just how limited you are in any kind of cultural or historical pride. And not only limited, like you, you can't express it. You cannot express it. There are people who do, and I think that there's a huge amount to admire about white culture. There's stuff to admire in other cultures too, but there's a huge amount to admire in white culture. What? And um, but you 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 can't express you can't go out and be thrilled or 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 happy about or or admiring of white culture because you're automatically a Nazi who wants to kill everyone and and all other groups you can have I mean sorry I shouldn't say this Edward because not you La Raza right what does that mean uh, the race the race <laughs> the race everything for the race the race for everything. <laughs> now, if you try that as a white person, white race power, what's going to happen? Oh, it's uh, basically like every media outlet like pointing at you with their scopes. I'm going to start the White Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen? So the amount of ferocity for any kind of... 
even the word white pride, what does that mean to you? What does white pride mean to you? I want it to mean the same thing that it means for me when I say I'm I'm proud to be who I am, but like apparently, and you should, why not be proud to be like this is like why not be proud to be who you are? Why not? I mean, but but it, and I'm not look. I'm not saying I'm a big like white pride guy, but everybody has to understand the degree to which white people are forbidden, railed against, punished, lives destroyed, jobs destroyed, income destroyed, reputation destroyed, for uttering one-tenth of one percent of any pride in culture or race that every other group is praised for. That, that's what gets me really angry nowadays. Like it's And that's what they call privilege. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. Like I it I I honestly understand everything you're saying. Like it it really resides with me because I see like the injustice that happens to like to white men, white women, like well more white men than anybody else. But like it's it's disgusting. Like if you want to like look at the most recent situation, like uh there was a gorilla that was shot in the zoo, um because it was about to attack or was was looking at some kid. And everyone no, no. Was- I, if you're gonna if we're gonna do the story, let's do the story. So we'll get to that in a sec. Let me just read this before I forget. All right. So this is screenshots taken 9th February 2016. Wikipedia. Uh, Is there ever any inaccuracy in Wikipedia? Not if you're on the left. All right. So Black Pride from Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Black Pride. Black Pride is a movement encouraging people to take pride in in being black, to celebrate heritage and personal pride. That's Black Pride. How about Gay Pride? Gay pride is the positive stance against discrimination and violence towards LGBT, I keep thinking that's a sandwich, people to promote their self-affirmation, dignity, equality rights, increase their visibility as a social group, build community, and celebrate sexual diversity, gender variance, and portable water buffaloes. That's gay pride. Asian pride. In the United States, Asian pride is a positive stance to being Asian American, right? So that's Asian pride, gay pride, black pride. I'm sorry we don't have Hispanic pride here, but I'm sure it's there. <laughs> now. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. There's you... parades over here about for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What do you think is under Wikipedia white pride? The Asian pride, gay pride, black pride. Good, beautiful, wonderful stuff. White pride. White pride is a slogan primarily used by white separatists, white nationalists, neo-Nazi, and white supremacist organizations to signal their racist viewpoints. Oh, God. Oh, it's so terrible. It's so fucking racist. And this is all supposed to be in the banner called anti-racism. Asian pride, gay pride, black pride, Hispanic pride, lovely, white pride, evil Nazi genocidal. It's like, are you people fucking kidding me? I mean, this is like, I tell you, the whole world has become the onion. Except, you know, you peel the onion, it makes you cry. So I'm sorry we're 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 drifting a little, but I just really wanted to get that across. Because, again, if you're not white, imagine, imagine, imagine. If you express any pride about your culture, your heritage, you fly any flag, you you talk positively about the achievements of your ancestors and so on, and your life is destroyed. Can you imagine living like that? Yeah. The fear, the huntedness, the 
can't speak of it, the, 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 the anxiety, the, oh, God, the self-hatred, the inability to say no to anything. God almighty. It's, it's really sad. Like, I, uh, I wish I could, like, like do something about it. I, I, I've been doing something about it. I've been speaking out about it. I've been talking to all my friends about it. Hey, like, this is unfair the way people are being treated out there. Like, this is not right. Um, like, uh, for example, like, uh, when I, I posted up about a Swedish family were kicked out of their home to make room for migrants. And, uh, and basically I posted that up and I was like, Hey, look, like this, this Swedish family got kicked out, but they were a white family. And the first thing that people said was like, Oh, well, they did that to the Native Americans in, in America. So it's just like, like, like here, um, first come, first are, uh, a karma, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen that a million times. When white people um, cause problems for other people, it's white people's fault. When other people cause problems for white people, it's white people's fault. Ah, I think I detect a pattern here. <laughs> oh, it's sad. And and people, they, they, I don't think they're conscious of it. Like, I don't think your friends are sitting there going, wow, we really want to bash on white people. <laughs> like, we just fucking hate those white people. And, like, they don't. It's it's just an automatically programmed response automatically programmed response and this idea that you just you bag on white people you can shit on white people you can attack white people you can condescend white people you can blame white people we are the unprotected group we are the open season group for people to vent all their frustrations and hatred on and this is somehow privilege I mean, it, 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 when, when people see it, it's like once, the, once you see that, you can't unsee it. But it's, it's, it seems impossible for people to see. You know, it's the old thing. You, know, you try talking about any other group that way. Try talking about any other group that way, uh, the way that they talk about white people. Uh, people's heads would explode. And uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> it's pissing off a lot of white people. Yeah. I mean, for a while, it's like, okay, we'll try, we'll, we'll give it a shot. You know, we'll get rid of all in-group preference, see how it goes. Let's try and get to a post-racial society. Okay, we're, apparently we're very advantaged because winter <laughs> for hundreds of thousands, 100,000 years, we're very advantaged. We're going to just, well, you know, we're going to accommodate. We're going to affirmative action, let people in, give money, give welfare, give, like we're going to just give, 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 right? I mean, someone uh, recently did a calculation the average black person takes, takes costs $7,700 more in government services per year than they pay in taxes. People are like, okay, well, you know, that was privilege and slavery, Jim Crow. We're going we're gonna to put all that aside. We're going to give, 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 right? And um, it's not working. <laughs> of course, it's, it's a government program. Of course, it's not working. But um, yeah, white people, I mean... I can see it on the web, and it's not as fringe as it used to be. White people are getting pretty pissed off at this. Well, you know, I, that, that you, you, you build a society that everybody wants to get into. Apparently, we're so racist, everybody just wants to see it right up close. Don't want to stay away. Seems, that guy's got the most racist hotel ever. I got, I'll pay any price to get there. <laughs> what? You build these societies. Try and treat minorities as well as humanly possible. You know? And transfer massive amounts of wealth, give up in-group privilege, and focus on the comfort and, and security and, and forward movement of, of minorities and so on. 
And boy, is it ever not working. It's not working for minorities, it's not working for white people, and it's going to change. And uh, people who haven't seen pissed off white people for a while going to be a little surprised. I'm hoping to avoid all of that, but I'm just pointing it out. Uh, you can only poke the wasp nest, literally. You can only poke the wasp nest for so long. Well, it's, it's already evident of it, right? With the, like the, like the nationalist groups that are already organizing, like the, uh, throughout the um, Sons of Odin. Yeah, the Europe. yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. And, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's, it's like just around the corner for the U.S., and that's what scares me for like my future and, and, and my kids, like the stigma of like being related to these like these like excuse my language. These racists. Like, like yeah, these, these like, racists. These, like, let's let's call them what they are. They're anti white racists. And it's not all they are, but when the question came up, when the question comes up, too bad, right? Like how the why the how the fuck does some Swedish guy who's forty, how is he responsible for what happened? In the days of Christopher Columbus, on the other side of the world, when smallpox, which nobody knew anything about, nobody knew how to cure, when small, they didn't even have a germ theory of disease, for God's sakes. They didn't even know how disease transferred. So how the fuck is some Swedish guy responsible for the transmission of an illness by methods nobody understood about on the other side of the world over 500 years ago? Oh, they're all white. So... I mean, and if, if I said, I mean, if I said all black people are responsible for black crime, people would say that's insane. At least that's in the same time frame. If I said all black people are responsible for slavery 500 years ago, people would go fucking nuts. And rightly so, it would be a horribly racist thing to say. But when people say, well, white people are really not doing well in Europe at the moment. Oh, it's karma. Because they're... Their ancestors were forced into the Navy and the Army to be colonists for their overlords. And so, boom, karma, bitch. It's like, oh, you, you fucking racists. You unbelievable racists. Not you, right? But th this, this is like, and this is what people say. This is the most amazing thing, right? Liberals. People say, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada. It's like, why? Why not move to Mexico? Well, if Trump wins, he's racist. So I'm going to move to a country that's much whiter than America. <laughs> what? If Trump wins and you don't want to be perceived as a racist and you think Trump is a horrible anti-Mexican racist, go move to Mexico. No, I want to move to where white people are in charge because I'm concerned that Trump might be a racist. Oh, God. All right, let's do the gorilla. <laughs> Sorry, is there something you wanted to add there? No, I was just saying, like, I'd be glad to open the door for them. And be like, oh, uh, don't let it hit you on the way out. Uh, and this is called white-splaining. <laughs> right. uh, so so the, the black... Sorry. A four-year-old kid climbs over a fence, wanders across 30 yards, falls into a gorilla pit, in, into the water, right? And you can watch the video on, on YouTube. I think it's on YouTube. And the gorilla is dragging the kid through the water. Um, it's not safe, right? It's not a safe environment or self-situation. So you can get this uh, from Paul Joseph Watson's Twitter feed. I'm totally stealing it from him. And this is black people talking about what happened. That gorilla was taken from its homeland. It's not idiots, but anyway. That gorilla was taken from its homeland, put in captivity, and then killed to preserve white life. That sounds familiar. Huh. Okay, so apparently all white people are to blame now. And so they they were going to shoot the gorilla. Of course, everyone says, why didn't you shoot it with a tranquilizer? It's 400 pounds. 
I mean, that gorilla can can crush a coconut with one hand. I mean, if it if the if the gorilla suddenly decided to to play peekaboo in the kid's neck by ripping its head off, it would be over in about a tenth of a second, and that kid would be dead. So they couldn't tranquilize it. They had to shoot it, and it died. It was 17 years old. It was a red gorilla or whatever, right? Uh, someone else, another black person wrote, at the end of the day, the gorilla was minding his own business. White parenting at its finest. <laughs> uh, another black guy wrote, I really feel bad for that gorilla. He was living his life. Next thing he knew, a white boy trespassing in his home, but he'd be getting a shot for it. Another guy, uh, the gorilla was minding his own business. It's the mama's fault. And the curious little white, all caps, boy, want to bother bl- people. Black people don't even go by the rail. If the gorilla knew... They was kill him. He should have choked that little white boy like Melvin did Jody. I don't know what that. Do you know what that means? No. Melvin. Mike, do you know what? I don't, but uh, there's one that's not included in here that I thought was rather interesting. They were like, the gorilla was 17 black and unarmed. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. Ape lives matter. Okay. This gorilla was trying to die today over a dumbass little white boy with stupid payments. Smash my head. R.I.P. My dog. I um anyway, so this killing an endangered gorilla at a zoo for a white boy's safety is white privilege. If the boy was black, they'd have found a tranquilizer. Uh it's great. Now, the twist, of course, is that the boy, and not coincidentally, his parents were black. And the father, fulfilling a lot of cliches, uh had a um a lengthy criminal history, and so on and now the black parents are being investigated for their role so yeah just you know everything's about race and white people are to blame for everything and you can't look up any facts just go around blaming white people and uh that's what they call privilege oh it, yeah it just pisses me off like it i've had conversations with people who are like hey uh like 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 someone posts up of, of uh someone getting arrested like a cop arresting a black person and um and I just like looking forward into it. I like to see what happened, like what the guy has like on his records and everything. And the guy has like like several records with like um holding it like being caught with an arm, um and a few other things like like drugs and then um and when I brought this up to the person who posted up the video, it was like, Oh fuck fuck police, like fuck white people like and I was like, Hey, by the way, this guy has a history of these things. Like there's like there there's a reason why they they came up to him this way. And the guy was like, oh, facts don't matter. Like, that, that shit's been the past. Like, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. I'm like, what the fuck? Drug Wait, trafficking this... and kidnap was what the... This is the, the, the dad of the kid in the yeah. enclosure, right? Kidnap what was it? and drug trafficking. Kidnapping and drug, drug trafficking. Uh-huh. So he's good at combining kids who aren't his own. Anyway, all right, um... No, it is uh, it is mad. But are you wait? Hang on, Edward. Are you saying that a black person was saying that what happened in the past doesn't matter? Yeah, that's yeah. So <laughs> like slavery, <laughs> exactly. Like, like Jim Crow, like segregation. What happened in the past doesn't matter. I'm actually down with that. I got I'm it. totally down <laughs> with that. Like I literally wanted to take my computer and just throw it out the window. Like I was like done. Like I was like I hate I hate everybody on the internet. It's so. I'm a person who, Would like, you like me? <laughs> Hold on. Just of my manly voice. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> There's something about that head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's a that's not a forehead. That's an eight head, right? <laughs> okay, so l- let me ask you this. I mean, because we've we've talked about race and IQ and stuff like that. And and look, people who say there are no problems with Hispanic or or Mexican culture, do you know what the age of consent is in Mexico? 12. To have sex with someone? It's 12. 12! 
12. It's 12. 12. 12. 12. But apparently, on frats, there's a rape culture in America. Ah! Yeah, when 12. You- what is the story with that? I mean, do they die at 14? You got to get your, your sperm in? Like, what? 12? Where the hell does that come from? That's just backwards thinking. Like, there's just, I don't even know how to describe that. It's just. I mean, that's, it's not just shocking to me, right? I, I don't want to be an old fuddy duddy, but I don't know. If the wine hasn't properly aged yet, I don't think it should be banged. If it's, you know, like, this is wrong. <laughs> no, I, I brought this up to people. I was like, hey, like, like, when, for example, when Trump says, like, oh, they're bringing in rapists and, like, uh, like not bringing in rapists, but, like, the illegals are criminals. Like, they're not. Americans, they don't have rights. They're criminals. Like they're breaking the law, getting into the U.S. that way. Like I spent five years without my father because he did everything the proper way. Like I have no sympathies for like these like illegal immigrants. Like I spent. Oh, so you sorry, your father was going through the bureaucracy, which is ridiculous for trying to get into America, right? I mean, the average wait time in India is like thirty years or something. Yeah, but you're saying your father was had to wait, right? Yeah, like, I spent so many years, like, without my father. Like, the first five years of my life, I never knew my father. Like, he was over here, like, working his, like, like, working his ass off and working, like, two jobs. And and then finally, he was able to approve me, my mother, and my sister. And then we were able to come in. And then um, my mother then had to bust her ass because they had to work, like, like four jobs in between them. And um, because of the fact that they were working all these jobs and and paying these bills and and everything they had to do to, to help us survive, I barely like knew my my mother as well, like, cause like even though we were still with them, um, like they were working like their asses off the whole time. But, like I have no sympathy for people who like ask for welfare. I have no sympathy for people who are like illegal immigrants because like they they basically are avoiding all the struggles that my family had to go through and everything that they had to achieve in order to make me to make sure that I had a good life. And I, I see the differences between these people, like between the people who go through the good, the due process and the people who don't go through it and the people who don't go through it never assimilate with the rest of us. Like these people, they don't go outside of their circles. They stay in their circles. Like they have Spanish communities, like there are Spanish grocery stores there's Spanish like nightclubs or yeah. Spanish, like uh, everything. Like there's no, you'll never see them go outside that city. It's always in that one city. Like they, yeah. they, they spread. And um, yeah, they, just, they can go. They can go through half their lives with having very little contact with non-Hispanic cultures, right? Yeah, and then when I think about that, and I think about the migrant crisis, and I think about that as just like on steroids. Like it's just you're just oh, yeah. injecting like people after people who are never going to assimilate. Like it's just never going to happen. Like it's just never going to happen. The only people, the only time- no Muslims. Look, Muslims have been going to other countries for fourteen hundred years. Yeah, but there's a difference between like uh, a Muslim who. But they don't. They don't. Not a lot of assimilation going on. <laughs> like I. I let me. Let me just go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I have Muslim friends who are moderate, and they went through the same process that my father went through, and and it's like really tragic when you see these people who don't see their father for like ten years or, or like twenty years, and like they have full grown children overseas, and they, and they never see these kids, but they're busting their asses over here, and then but at the same time, it's also a problem because they're also sending money over there. So it's it's like really hard to like find the middle ground, but at the same time, I don't really have sympathy for anybody who doesn't go through the due process that I went that I had to go through the hardship, the heartache that I had to go through. Yeah, 
This is um, a little bit of information for those who don't know. Rape in Mexico is prosecuted at the state level. State laws vary. A review of criminal laws in all 31 states showed that many required that if, for example, a 12-year-old girl accused an adult of statutory rape, she had to first prove that she was, quote, chaste and pure. Chaste and pure. 19 states in Mexico required that statutory rape charges be dropped if the rapist agreed to marry his victim. Uh-huh. Now that's what I call a bit of a rape culture. But you can't hear it, right? And the, you know, I mean, feminists should be outraged they're at not, incursions of this kind of culture into America, but they're not. They're the biggest hypocrites. Like they don't talk about oh, any yeah. of this stuff. It's, it's, it like, <laughs> like I'm probably gonna like go through this whole thing going like, hey, this that pisses me off. This pisses me off. All of it pisses me off because it, it's just. It's such an great injustice to like everybody who's like just trying to like like live their life and like do do the best they can. And it's just like you see these like assholes out there that are just like talking about like rape culture, rape culture, rape culture. But when it, when you talk about like the other situations outside the country and like the real rape culture, they want to like just like oh I didn't hear any of that or you know nah, like we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on what's going on here one step at a time. In one village in Guerrero. <laughs> Guerrero state. Elders were recently asked how they punished rape. The six men looked confused as if they did not know what the term meant. When it was explained to them, they all laughed and said, it sounded more like a courting ritual than a crime. When they stopped laughing, they said, a rapist would probably get a few hours in the local jail or he might have to pay the victim's family a 10 or $20 fine, but it would all be forgotten if he and the victim married. Now, in the case of a cattle thief, they said he would be jailed. And unlike the rapist, a cattle thief would be brought before the elders for a lecture about the severity of the crime. So, yeah, rape a 12-year-old, yeah, 10 buck fine. Marry the woman, whatever, or marry the girl's fine. But, boy, if you steal a cow, well, that's some serious shit, man. That, you got to deal with that. I mean, that's, that's not a courting ritual. Or if it is, I guess uh, Thailand is the end destination. But, uh, yeah, it's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing uh, just how insane it is. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that just makes me like, I don't know. It, it's, it's depressing like to know that this is what's going on and then how shut people are away from like the real situations of this world. Like, it, it And here's me- the thing too, right? Here's the insane thing. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll shut up. Here's the insane thing. White culture has been punishing rape severely for 2,500 years at least. At least 2,500 years, white culture has been severely punishing rape. Mexico, $10 fine, dropped and waved if you marry your rape victim. Oh, and if she's not chaste and pure, it's not even a crime. Here's the insane thing. I think we can safely say it's better with white laws regarding rape than with Mexican laws regarding rape. But white people are not allowed to have any pride, but Mexicans are allowed to have all the pride in the world because who wouldn't want to celebrate a $10 fine 12-year-old rape culture? All right. That is off my chest. (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, what's it like... 
what's it like? And I know we're generalizing, right? But what's it like? Lift the lid for me, right? I mean, I don't get a chance to listen to a lot of unfiltered conversations from your group or your <laughs> neck of the woods. No, this what, is, what, what is, you, you know, it's okay. You, you can tell me. I mean, who else is listening, right? Come on. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is said about Trump, about white people, about America? What is the conversation? I had a you know great black guy on who was talking about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, let's have an honest conversation about what is said. Like this is exactly why I wanted to come on because I I wanted to people to know like this is the conversations that are being had like these this is like it's it's people are having like these like ridiculous fantasies that like oh if Bernie Sanders is elected we're all gonna have weed we're all gonna have like free this free that and then and when you hear about Trump it's like oh he's racist like like and then it was like, oh, okay well why is he racist and then it's like no he said that Mexicans are all rapists and then it's like and that that's the only thing to go off of. And then even if you try to get past that, then it's like, oh well, you know, it's it's the they're richer than us, so we got it's got to be us against them. So like, uh, I had a family member who told me he was like, because uh, like I said, like I've I've done pretty good in my life, like I'm I'm in a better place than than most people I know around me, and um. And one person told me, he was like, hey, like, I was like, hey, like, I'm voting for Trump. And he's like, well, I'm not voting for him because he's for, like, the upper class. Like, he's not for me. Like, he's he's not going to help me in my situation and, and the money I need. And I'm like, well, no one can help you except yourself. But, like, it's just the kind of mentality that people have is, like, they're waiting for, like, this savior but they're waiting for like also a white savior who's like Bernie Sanders. So I'm like, they hate white people but they want a white savior. Huh. Well, he is Jewish, technically, so there's <laughs> arguments about his whiteness. <laughs> but uh, and what do let, let's let's dig a little deeper. What uh, what do some of the people you know say about white people as a whole? Uh, Good and bad. Um. Well, I mean, like most people, like they would try to say, like, oh, they're they're racist, like, oh, oh, like they think they're better than us, or something like that, or. Or, uh, oh, like, uh, like, for example, like, when, like, girls, like, walk into Starbucks or something like that, like, they, like, like, the, the girl, like, like, Latino girls, they would say, like, oh, like, look at those bougie, like, whatever, so-and-so, it's just, like, like, all kinds of hate, just because they're in a, in, in that kind of position, and, um, it's just, like, it, it, it's, it sounds like it's, like, just, aim towards white people but it probably most likely is but at the same time i've ex i've also experienced it aimed towards each other like like for example like dominicans and, and mexicans and puerto ricans and whatever you want like they would fight against each other and they would call each other like crap and all kinds of things and it's the same thing that happens within like black communities like if you're light skinner than another person or black or darker skin than the other person then then, like a white-skinned person, like they'd be like, considered, or a light-skinned person, they'd be considered white, and they're like, "Oh, well, like stop acting white or stop acting this." Like, "Oh, why are you talking white?" Or, um, like it's it's like stigmatized. Um, so, like, what is what? Sorry to drop. Uh, what does acting white mean? What is what are the, the the behaviors that would get that label? Just speaking proper English, proper English, oh. <laughs> proper <laughs> proper English, like proper like like manners, like. Paying your bills Politeness, on time. Uh, consideration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Like anything that basically is like is is just not like hip hop culture or whatever like uh like you can think of. Like it's just it's all frowned upon and labeled as as acting white. 
and um, it's kind of like stigmatized. Like if you associate yourself as a as a white person, or associate yourself with white people, or if you act in any kind of sort of way as a white person, then you kind of like like fall in this category of like being like this like stigmatized person where you're like, oh, you're just just acting white, like you're just like this and this and that. Like why don't you just act like the rest of us? And it's 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 acting white. It's like oh, is it the old thing that a lot of low rent people say, and this is true among white people as well. Oh, you you just think you're so much better than us. Yeah. Right. Well, who are you putting on air is thinking you're so much better than us, right? Yeah, and it's like you try to make it in this world, and then like it's basically as soon as like you try to do that, people start talking bad about you. Like, oh, look at what he's doing. Like, oh, look what he's what he's done. And then it's just like. Oh well, that's not a real like so and so jacket, or that's not a real this and this and that. Like it's it's all fake, and it's it's just like your own people like bringing you down to their level. Yeah. Like it, it's yeah. constant. It's it's always all the time. Like they're your own people like holding you back because they don't want to go. Like they don't want to like, get out of their shell. And when was uh, Edward? When was the last time, if ever, that you heard someone say something um, really positive about white people? Um, like from another like Latino or that's static? that's a nice long pause there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, yeah, some someone in your community, right? So, who's who's like you know those white people? They've got this together, or they got that together, or they built a pretty great country, or they sure invent a lot of shit, or you know I'm glad to have this cell, like whatever, it, something positive about uh, white people. I've heard that from my mother. Like, and my mom is like kind of like a person who always like tries to like to do her best for me, and um, and she said like, oh yeah, well you know, like, uh, she's kind of like really brutal about what she says too. Like, cause she's like, oh, like, 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 uh, like remember how I told you that I had a situation where uh, a black woman was very like, like basically racist towards us. So like, she would say like, oh well, like all black people are the same. Like they're they're just this, they're just like just um. Is very nasty, nasty people and like unpolite. And then she says that she actually enjoys doing business with white people because white people always pay <laughs> and they always pay on time and they're always like polite and always nice about things. Like they never, like you never have a situation where like you're like hunting, hunting them down or like waiting for them to like say something nasty to you. Like it's always like, hey, like let's have, we're having this, uh, we're having uh, different views or like I need this from you and like let's have a conversation about it and like okay and your mom sounds great um but other than your mom positive things about white people that you've heard uh not even from like my white friends have i heard positive things no no forget your white friends <laughs> no no we're trying to zero in on something here i'm not trying to catch you i'm genuinely curious because i don't think white people understand this very well uh which uh, you will get to but if if there hasn't been anything that's fine i'm just curious if because you uh, know white people talk a lot about the positive values of other cultures and other races and other ethnicities and so on if I what to, have you heard if anything that's positive about white people from your friends if i wanted to be a hundred percent honest like i really don't hear much of anything if if anything at all like it's it's mostly is, is that zero 
we we got a big bagel. Going on, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm not. This is not your fault. Like I, I mean, we're having a pleasant. I mean, I'm enjoying the conversation. I think it's a very honest and and frank conversation, which I appreciate you having. So I'm not including you in this. And I'm sure you would say positive things about white people. To be fair, there are positive things to say about white people. Um, but are you saying, so among your friends in general, you can't think off the top of your head of a positive conversation about white people? No. Nah. The only thing I hear about is just like, oh, they have good credit. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's privilege. It's got nothing to do with paying off your debts. That's the only thing um, I really hear positive about white people. Like it's it's usually stigmatized to be associated or think that white people are cool. Like it's right. it's it's very it, like like it's like you see it in every culture. Like whether it's like well mainly black and Hispanic cultures. Like they they have like a vendetta against like white people. Like and if they see any of their own kind. Like moving forward, like they they basically call them like like they call them a white person or, or acting white, like as if it's a a negative thing, like if it's something that like you shouldn't be proud of, like just being like basically like saying like being white, you shouldn't you should not be proud of being white. So it's like being being white is a shameful and hateful thing. Yeah, like to act that way, right? It's it's disgusting. Like I don't understand why that's a thing. Like it took me so well, long. I do. Like, I do. I do. We'll, we'll get to that. It, and and this is something. I don't want to put words in your mouth, right? So so tell me if I go astray at all here. But I think this is something that white people have trouble understanding. That there are a lot of minorities that really, really hate white people. Yeah, it's... Like really, really hate white people. And I got to think of kind of laughing at white people with their big, giant multiculturalism embrace. And, <laughs> you know, let's all get along. And, and here's some affirmative action. And we're going to pay this. And we're going to give you preferential loans for your businesses. And we're going to promote you. And we're going to... It's like... Don't you know we hate you? Like, I got to think from from the viewpoint of, like, we're making fun of you guys. We think white people are ridiculous. We think they're bad. We think they're corrupt. We think they're exploitive. We think they're nasty. We think they're bad dancers. They're uncool. They don't know how to have good sex. Like, they're just a goofy, ridiculous, dangerous race. That's and I, I think that white people don't understand just how a lot of minorities really really don't like white people yeah it's it it's true like it's like i it, it's we like can be really... honest right i mean we can be honest about <laughs> this we just we're just trying to deal with the facts right <laughs> yeah. like i i i mean like i i feel bad like for laughing about this because it's not really funny like it's 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 like really like heartbreaking to me like, like to see like the fact that like I I could be proud of myself, but like my friend who's white or like some of my past girlfriends, like I I'm a proud person who didn't even want to like date like Hispanic women or black women. I only wanted to date white women because like like you've had plenty of like conversations about like what happens with like a lot of like um the black women and and white and uh, Hispanic women and how they treat their men and how men treat them and just like how negative they are towards each other and so it's always been something that i've like always been against like like that like to to date like a hispanic woman or or or, or white um a black woman and so when i think about that i think about it like okay so why did i really want to like date a white girl and then i started realizing i was like because they have like their stuff together like they're intelligent i can have a good conversation like that one of my main thing is like having a conversation with somebody and when I started looking at that and I started realizing that, 
like a lot of the my culture is just like against all this like open mindedness and and being white and like and just living like that like the American dream and all those things and it's just like it I'm trying not to like generalize everybody but it's just hard oh, to like listen, man. <laughs> sorry sorry if you've said that over your entire you know you're coming on for your third when you're in your third decade right so over your entire adulthood which is you know closing in on 30 years you can't remember a single positive conversation you've had a peer whether any positive feeling or thought has been expressed towards white people i mean imagine if i said that imagine if i said you know at your age i've had countless conversations with my white friends about blacks and everything has been negative and there's not been one positive thing to say about blacks or hispanics or whatever right yeah. It is it is terrible. It is terrible. Like I understand it. I don't think a lot of white people understand it. It's, and I think that white people don't understand it is is a great tragedy. Because look, your friends should not be getting away with this stuff any more than a white person should be getting away with stuff talking trash about other races, right? Exactly. I mean, they, they, probably deep down they know that this is racist and bigoted and anti-white hatred and all that. And it's, it's not right. You can move to someone's country, take a lot of their resources, uh, you know, consume welfare, consume uh, public schools, consume health care, and then just shit all over your hosts. That's pretty crappy, right? Yeah. I, I mean, if, 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 if Mexicans are so great... Why don't they fix Mexico, right? I mean, is that, that's not an unfair thing to say, right? Why, why you got to run to white countries if Mexicans are so great and white people are so bad? What's up with that? Now, again, I understand it all, but that is something that could easily be asked and, and reasonably be asked, right? Yeah. How are you going? How are you doing in this conversation, brother? I mean, is it, you seem a little like, oh, don't make me talk about it, right? I mean, are you okay? <laughs> No, it's just like I wanted, like, like I, I really wanted to have this honest conversation with you, and like, I felt like, like I've watched so many of your shows, and I've never really seen a Hispanic person like come out and like talk to you. So like, I wanted to like be brutally honest with you. Like, I, I, I wanted to have this open conversation with you, but at the same time, it's kind of like makes me realize just how how bad things are. Like how how like it's just it's like I said, like it's depressing. Like it's you you want to like make sure you want to think that like the best of your people, but like and then you start seeing like the true ugly side of it. It is ugly, but it's also not. It's not exactly entirely the fault of your people, so to speak, right? I mean, because white people put up with it. White people don't ask about it. White people, I won't say invited. I don't want to blame the victim and all of that, but white people don't have these frank conversations. They don't talk about race and culture with other groups openly and honestly. And I don't want to say, you know, bring it on themselves and all of that. But, and, and by the way, we have had tons of Hispanic callers. It's just has not really centered as much around questions of race as, as much as this caller is. But, um, right, it's not working for white people. It's not working for Mexicans. It's not working for blacks. It doesn't mean it can't, but right now it's all government run, right? It's all race relations are a government program, cultural relations, multiculturalism, migrant crisis, immigration, all of this is a government program. And government programs screw things up and make everything worse. And violence does that. Coercion does that. And I think that there can be positive and beneficial interactions between ethnicities and so on. But first of all, we got to get real, right? 
shit just got real, right? We, we got to get real with each other. There is a lot of anti-white hatred in the world. I, I would say it's one of the most foundational emotional drivers in the world at the moment is hatred and resentment and frustration and envy and all of that towards white people. Because that's the one group that can be attacked with impunity, white people and Christians, as long as they're white, right? That is the group, white people are the group that can be attacked with impunity, that you can be racist towards with impunity, that you can deny cultural pride to and consider yourself a virtuous person for doing so, that you can denigrate and, and put down, and it's fine. And we all know it's not a sustainable situation, right? Yeah. It, it can't work in the long run because white people are going to justly get really pissed off. You know, I, I can't speak for white people. It's boring, it's tiring, it's stupid, and it's very dangerous for everyone involved to keep piling on this way. And I don't blame them. Like, I, I really don't. Like, it's it's something that needs to happen because, like, they need to, like, basically have, like, their own backbone for this. Like, they need to stand up and say no. I blame them. Enough. I blame white people a little bit. <laughs> I blame <laughs> white people a little bit because... You know, there's this terror of being called racist. And it's like, when the hell did this become something which, which makes you give up everything that, that, that you treasure and that other people treasure about white-run societies? I well, mean, it's weird. It's, see, and this is what I understand. It's like, they, like, like, for example, like, I, all the white people I've known, like, they've always been polite, always been, like, the, like open, like, to, like, invite me in their homes and everything. And, and when they, when I come over to their house, like, they're very, very, like, like, good at uh entertaining their guests but like when i yeah, go friendly to, right yeah. good hosts right and when i go to someone else's house like um hispanic or a black house like it's just the opposite it's like it's just like <laughs> like kids running all over the place like like nothing's like really picked up and it's just like sit wherever you want to stay like oh you're you're, 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 you're thirsty whatever <laughs> like kind of thing and it's just right. like it's not the same it's and it's and i don't understand because like when I see like um, music videos and stuff like that, like specifically like hip hop, like, I was watching a music video where um, there was a uh, uh, a rapper who was singing, and then he had like a, a courtroom like portrayed, and so everybody who was in the in the audience was basically black, and then the defendant and then the the, the him were, he was black, but then the judge was a white woman, um, the the officer was a really overweight white man. And then the jury was all white women. And um, and I'm looking at the video and I'm like realizing like he, he can't even portray in his own music video that his own people can be judges, that they can be police officers, that they can be like righteous like jury people who show up to for these things. And and then the way he does portray his people are like these like really ratchet, like half naked, like and then like the clips that would go off of it. Just people like like holding guns and all kinds of things in front of a uh, in front of like a um a car or like a liquor store and like that's how he'd rather portray his people rather than portray them in like a positive light even when he has full control over the situation. Well, and, you have to be because the, 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 there's a well-oiled attack machinery that is ready and poised to destroy the lives of creators if they. Accurate, accurately reproduce what occurs in society. So, for instance, um, I've always heard of this dung, dung, law and order, right? I've, I've never, I didn't know much about it, right? So I was browsing on Netflix and I watched an episode or two and then I watched an episode or three and then I watched half a season. And I stopped watching it because just about every criminal is a white person in New York. 
in New York, just about every criminal is a white person. Now, if they were to go by the actual arrest statistics and accurately reflect the number of minorities, in particular blacks and Hispanics, and Asians don't exist, remember, because <laughs> Asians, right? If they were to say, okay, well, we're going to take the arrest ratios, we're going to take the conviction ratios, and we're going to accurately portray that in the Law and Order series, what do you think would happen? Yeah, it would be a hell to pay. Everybody would flip out and lose their heads. Yeah, like 9 out of 10 of the criminals or 8 out of 10 of the criminals would be visible minorities. And everybody would go insane and say, this show is incredibly racist for accurately reflecting reality. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's... And this, so if you're a white person, you have to navigate this shit all the time. I can't speak the truth. I can't speak facts. You know, this is, it, they're called on the internet hate facts or facts be racist kind of thing, right? You can't talk about facts because you are a racist for accurately identifying things in reality. Well, you know, what the crazy thing about this is that, like, I've been basically spreading a lot of, like, the, the your videos and a lot of, like, stuff from, like, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, Milo, and a lot of these other, like, uh, um, people who are rising up and it's just like when I share these things like they I think people do like a double take of like my photo and my name like oh is that guy white no no he's not white and then, <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> can and I then, call them racist I'm probably can't anyway right yeah, and then they like do like a kind of like a weird like either they avoid the subject entirely or they kind of like try to like go around me and call the source racist yep and it's like, and then, I've, and then I met the people who are like just overly like full of themselves, like um, like like uh, I guess like uh, like Black Panthers or people who are like just like super like for like their like their like their own side, and they would th then they would bring on the full on racism towards me, and they would be like, oh, like you're just a, a pawn in the white man scheme, like like don't you know you're like, acting like, white, yeah, like, <laughs> right, like, yeah, like, right. Yeah, and the, the, the communists used to have the same thing. If you're a worker and you didn't feel exploited and you were happy to have a job, then you, you had false consciousness and, and you were wrong even though you had good arguments and you felt perfectly happy being an employee. Uh, it doesn't matter, right, because people can just say, well, you're wrong. Uh, and uh, they don't have to prove anything. They just have to – all they have to do is say that you're judging any kind of collective group differently and it doesn't matter if there are facts behind it doesn't matter. In, in fact, if there are facts behind it, that's even worse because you've researched other racists or something like that, right? And this is a very dangerous situation. It's a very dangerous situation. This is where uh, societies get really messed up when, when a particular group is constantly attacked and denigrated and, and lives in fear. And white people live in fear of being called racists. You don't have that fear. I mean, I know that you live in fear of ostracism or acting white or being successful or, you know, all the other things which uh, I actually admire you for. I mean, the, the, the job that you've made of your life sounds great. But you don't live in that kind of fear. And if again, if you're not white, it's hard to know how much fear white people live in in being called racist. And look, it's not just, I mean, it's not just minorities who are calling whites racist. Whites can be some of the first to pile on with that. And Jews. 
but whites uh, too. So that is, um, and you know, you can only push a people down so far. It's like I understand the fear too, because not not that I fully understand it, but like I I see where the fear is coming from, because like when I see people talk about these subjects and people like bring this up, but then I try to bring it up. I, I see people who get attacked at their jobs. Like they would be threatened to lose their job. Like, Oh, like they would call like their, their jobs and, and uh, send in letters. And like, until the person like loses their job for like false claims, like they, they aren't satisfied. And it's, and it just goes to a whole personal level with these people. And it's, it's insane. And I, I think about it myself and I'm like, Oh man, if I post some of this stuff, like, Will I like be putting my job at risk? And I'm like, well, I'm not really white. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lose my job because like they can't say I'm racist. Like, or at least some of them can. But like, who's gonna really believe them? Well, no. I, I listen. I hate to alarm you, but I wouldn't be so sure of that, my friend, because you would think that women couldn't be called sexist. But uh, if you are a woman uh, who say on the right or or who's a conservative, and you don't tow the leftist feminist party line, I mean, they'll work to try and destroy you even though you're a woman. Yeah. But look, I mean, y you are a very smart, smart man. And if, if, you know, smart people can't have conversations about this stuff, you know, we have conversations to avoid escalation, right? You know this, if you, if you don't talk about things and, and people brood and simmer and get frustrated and don't communicate, that's when things hit a boiling point. So the fact that you and I are having this conversation is really, really important, right? I'm learning something about your culture and your background and your relationships, and you're learning something about my culture, my background and my relationships. And this is an incredibly rare conversation to be having in the world. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not saying fun, but, no. <laughs> but, but great. I, I, you know, because I was always told to have honest conversations about race. And uh, I, when I was younger, I was foolish enough to think that's what was actually meant rather than shut up white people and pay up. But um, now, it, it, did you something else you wanted to add? Because I wanted to end up with sort of like I kept saying, well, I understand it and I haven't really explained why. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to, to add, Edward, to what we've been talking about so far? No, it's, the only thing I want to add is just like I wish more people would talk up about this, like whether it's white, blacks, Hispanics, like there's I feel like there's more of us than there are of them. And I just really wish people would just like stand up for themselves. Like I, I want everybody to get together and just like really work on this situation because it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And it is just way too many people, especially in my generation, are just sitting back and just letting it happen. And I wish that it wasn't that way. I wish that people would actually speak out their minds and not let the buffoons and the racists and the true like sexists of this like planet to like take over. Right. You say you think there's more of us than of them, but I just wanted to have you circle back to what you said earlier when you said you couldn't remember a single positive thing that your peers had ever said about white people. I'm not sure that there are as many as you think there well, are. Well, I'm thinking like in a more broader term, like more of like a cross. Oh, the people you like, don't know. Like, yeah, like cross, cross races. So the imaginary Aragorn-based army of the undead that's going to come through and heal race relations in the West. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, I don't want you to have false optimism when you've said, oh, I've never met a single, you know, of my friends who, who have anything positive to say about white people. But don't worry, there's lots of people who have positive, you know, I just, let's, let's not 
pretend that your empirical data doesn't exist. I'm very, very optimistic, so I'm hoping that's the case. So like, even if I might be wrong, I'm really, 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 really hoping that's the case. So well, like, look, I'll tell you what, conversations like this, conversations like this are going to create more people who can have conversations like this. <laughs> Right, seriously, the, the, the good that we're doing to the world by having conversations like this is immeasurable. So um, we will hopefully have people. Now, you, you kept saying when you get invited to white people's houses, how often have your friends invited white people to their, or white people to their houses? Um, uh, I don't really know that often. It's usually like it's within their own circles unless they know someone who's been like their own friend for a while, like, for example, from high school or middle school or whatever. But it's usually like them going over their house because like sometimes there's like this like shame and like how they feel about their own home compared to like the white person's home. So it's like it goes back to the whole like stigma of like, oh, they're doing better than us. So like we got to put them down kind of thing. Right. OK, so let's get to what I think I understand. And then you can tell me if this makes any sense. I'm going to assume, Edward, that you did pretty well in school and you're doing well in life. Yeah. Your, your parents are smart. Um, they're not like the best. Like they're they they didn't really graduate high school. Like they're they're smart. No, no I didn't. I didn't ask whether they were government educated. That's <laughs> like, not that's not the question. I mean, uh, that they're together, right? Did they have a decent relationship? They right. I mean, they work. They right. I mean, they're they're doing the right stuff, right? Yeah, my parents like they've gone through their thing, but they they've always stuck together, and and they've always said that the reason why they keep together is because of us, like me and my si brother and sister. Like they've always like stood up for us, right? And um, you did well in school, and you're doing reasonably well in life, right? Yeah, like I, I basically, the way I see it, like I constantly have to learn new things. Like I, I can't just like sit and stagnate. Like I have to like learn new technologies, especially with me being in the IT career. So it's it's always a constant new thing for me. And when I see others who just like play video games and all these things, like it's just it's such a wasted amount of time. It's just I don't understand. And with regards to your Hispanic friends, um, how often do you have conversations of depth or meaning or self-knowledge or even current events that are not just shallow resentment stuff? I mean, deeper conversations. Uh, not often at all. Like I, I have more deeper conversations with with my white friends and my Asian friends. So when you say not very often at all. Meaning, meaning, like I would post something, they would talk about it. Like, no, 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 your, your conversations in your life with your Hispanic peers. Yeah, like um, they would basically like it would just be something related to what I said. Like, and then they'd like kind of just shrug me off, like, oh, that's stupid, or oh, like you're like you're just selfish. Like, you should vote for this, or you should do that. Like, oh, that's just selfish. But so we're like, talking zero? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just because you say, well, not very often, not that much. I don't know, weekly right. or yearly, every fourth blue moon when the heron is outlined against Mr. Uh, Mr. Saucerhead. I mean, is it is it zero? I mean, it just doesn't happen in, in with your Hispanic friends? I don't, yeah, like, it's just, it's more about, like, the, like, entertainment and, and, and things like that. It's not really about politics. Everybody kind of, like, shies away from politics. They don't really want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about social uh, problems or ideals or like anything of that. There's just like entertainment, uh, drugs and booze and women. Mm. I, I think I get that from the soap operas. So, all right. Okay. Do you know the average IQ in Mexico? No, I don't know. Do you want to take a guess? 
uh, somewhere around like uh, mid seventies, maybe low eighties. Uh, eighty-eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's you know eighty-eight, right? So that's not hugely great. And this is one of the reasons why Mexico has trouble establishing any kind of representative democracy and why corruption is so high and and violence is so high because the sweet spot for criminality is around 85. It doesn't mean, of course, right, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to put all these caveats in because we're dealing with a smart audience. Now, the average IQ, of course, among white people is 100. You're a smart guy. So I would imagine that your white friends are above average in terms of of IQ, because you sound to me way above 100 for, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert, just a rule of thumb, right? So does, if I sort of point this out, right, this average IQ is 88, does it make any sense about some of the stuff we've been talking about with regards to the differences between your Hispanic friends and your white friends? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like the, you can, in the conversations and the way that in the dialogue and the vocabulary, it just, it's so blatant, like the difference is that you cannot like avoid that difference. Right. Now, this is what is really annoying about white people. (laughs) One of the many things (laughs) that is annoying about white people is because the IQ stuff isn't known. Because the IQ stuff isn't known. And look, I'm I'm no expert in this, but my understanding is basically a bunch of Westerners had sex with a bunch of people who were indigenous to Central and South America and produced uh, mestizos or, you know, the sort of half and half or whatever, right? So what is really frustrating for people, for, for groups as a whole, is looking at white people and not understanding why white people tend to be more successful because the IQ stuff just isn't really talked about. I mean, in, in fact, it's actively suppressed as a whole, which to me is tragic. It's incredibly tragic. I think that groups of similar IQs can get along fine. I think groups with disparate IQs can get along fine as long as people at least understand to some degree the fact that there's an IQ difference in in aggregate, right? And not regarding individuals or whatever, right? And so what happens is, you know, uh, blacks and and Hispanics and gypsies, (laughs) low IQ there too, they look at white people and they say, what the hell? They have stuff and we don't. They have pools and we got a Jimmy open a fire hydrant. They have nice stuff. We have crap stuff. They have peaceful communities. We have violent communities. They have stable families. We not so much. They do well in school. We not so much. They have patents, we not so much. They go to college, we not so much. Without the understanding of, at, I mean, at least there's other stuff, at least the IQ differences. Yes, there's cultural differences, and yes, there may t- be testosterone level differences between whites and Asians and, and blacks and so on. But without at least sort of understanding that, it's an incredibly frustrating thing because it's like if I think I'm as tall as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I'm as equally good a player, but I can't ever get on a basketball team, I'm going to get really, really frustrated and angry, enraged. I'm just as good a player. I'm just as tall. I'm just as fast. I'm just as experienced. Nobody will hire me. 
that is a, an incredibly frustrating and enraging situation to be in. And it allows, of course, people to externalize all the problems to white racism. Right? Because if all the Hispanic basketball players are as tall and as fast and there's all the black basketball players, but nobody will hire them, it can only be because of anti-Hispanic basketball association prejudice, right? And rather than saying, look, we ha- we're starting with an IQ difference. Let's figure out what we can do to close it. Let's figure out better parenting methods. Let's figure out not spanking. Let's figure out longer breastfeeding. Maybe we can figure out if there's genetics, there's certain, almost certainly genetics involved. Maybe we can figure out some genetic solutions to this so we can bring, begin to bring IQs closer together. We have to first recognize that there's a problem in order to solve it. But this denial of this la, 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 stick your fingers in your ears, forget about any, like, and pretend there's no genetic differences, there's no cultural differences, there's no brain differences, there's no IQ differences, is a recipe for genuine civilization-shaking disasters. Because blacks and Hispanics and gypsies are looking at whites, and I guess Asians too, and saying, why not me? Why not us? Why can't we get and have what they have? They're keeping it from us. They owe us. They destroyed our ancestors. They enslaved our people. They stole our resources. And I want California back. Not when it's a socialist country, you don't. But, right, without this basic understanding that there are differences between ethnicities that we must first acknowledge and then work as best as we can to close those gaps using all of the incredible resources we have in the world, the scientific resources, the cultural resources, the parenting resources, the biological resources. We need to understand that this is a big problem. We're all not going back to our corners. We're not going to end up with entirely different planets to live on. We all got to find some way to live together, but without acknowledging these differences and working to bring them closer together. This rage, this frustration, this anti-white racism, this hostility, this sense of entitlement, this bigotry, when's it going to stop? How's it going to stop? Biology ain't changing. It's only going to escalate. It's only going to get worse until the facts come out and we can all put our heads together and work to try and solve this problem, but screaming racism, resentment, and hatred for white people, it's not going to end well. We all know that, right? Is, I mean, is there any way like to actually have these things like work together? Like, or is that just far, so far like away from the reality? Well, see, I, I don't know, but I know for a fact that if if the problem isn't even acknowledged, there will be no solution other than ever escalating conflict. Like, do I know whether race IQ differences can be solved? I have an incredible amount of optimism (laughs) that it can be. But it first must be acknowledged. Yeah, that's correct. It first must be acknowledged. The combined, like if if we were to acknowledge this issue and we were to put the combined resources 
of five continents and the geniuses that are in there to work on trying to solve this problem. I'm pretty sure a lot could be done. A lot could be done. And let's say, let's say we can't solve the problem. I mean, some of it can be solved because some of IQ is environmental. It's to do with how you parent it. It's to do with breastfeeding and spanking and all the other things that we've talked about with the experts. So some of it can certainly be improved. If you can get the average IQ of Mexicans from 88 to 95, damn, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? That would ease tensions an enormous amount because then the discrepancy between the two groups would be vastly diminished, right? So let's just say, look, I have no idea, but I don't think that's a wildly unrealistic goal. I mean, the, the black-white IQ gap narrowed in the 60s and early 70s as the result of a variety of factors. And the black community still has a long way to go in terms of not spanking and breastfeeding and all the other stuff which I've talked about for years because I really, really want to help race relations, but I'm not going to do it by pretending white people are always, always to blame and there's no such thing as biology, there's no such thing as evolution, and there's no such thing as disparate outcomes for groups in wildly disparate environments. So black and white IQ gap has closed a little bit. Can we do something with the Hispanic? Yes. Yes, of course we can. Of course we can. Now, can we get it to parity? I don't know. But damn, if we can get it halfway to parity, that's so much better. Wouldn't it be? I mean, wouldn't it just be fantastic if we could do that? Now, if there's more that can be done, like a generation of intensive gene research to figure out what particular triggers there may be, for growing the brain size, for growing the number of uh, uh, white neural connections for the white matter in the brain. I think that would be an incredible and powerful and incredibly positive project for human beings to embark upon. I can't even tell you how much money I would give into that research. I'd like live in a hut <laughs> and, and I, would, uh, uh, I would do my podcast on a TRS-80 in order to, to be able to, I mean, if that research gets moving, there's nothing that I wouldn't do to get behind that, to work to solve things in a genuine, practical way. Right now, we have differences between the races that is ascribed to magical racism on the part of white people in the same way that epilepsy in the past was ascribed to demonic possession. It is that superstitious and that primitive. We've got this weird... White people hate everyone who just happens to be less intelligent than white people because, whatever, Asians don't exist. We have this weird, magical, stupid non-answer that is only stoking resentment on every single conceivable side of the racial gap. White racism is responsible for every single disparity in the known universe. Oh, and sexism for women, even though women work less hard than men. The, the, the wage gap between men and women is a complete fiction. No serious economist uh, thinks about it in any realistic, like, ignore it. It's ridiculous. Nobody believes it except feminists. But IQ gaps need to be acknowledged. We need to put the resources in to figure out what's going on, what can be improved environmentally, what can be improved genetically. And then, and only then, can we really begin to start to live in peace with each other so that you don't have all of your friends hating white people and you don't have white people hating themselves and pushing down all that resentment and anger until I don't even want to know my, what might happen after that. White people are nice. 
until they're not. And then they're really, really not. <laughs> and we don't want to get there. So the fact that we can have these kinds of conversations, and the fact, like, so when I said, like, I understand why your friends are resentment towards white people, because we look like we're hoarding stuff. <laughs> we look like we're ex keeping everyone else out of the party. We're excluding everyone. Ooh, we, we've got this great free market party going on, but we're not going to share with you Hispanics and we're not going to share with the blacks. We totally share with the Jews and the Asians because Jews and Asians have higher IQs. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> I mean, so it sounds like we're having this great party. We got all the Victoria's Secrets models and Kanye is playing live and Ed, Emily Ratajkowski is topless in the pool and... I don't know, some Kardashian has given birth to some <laughs> multicolored <laughs> baby, right? So we've got this great party going on. It's the best party in the known universe, but you're not invited, <laughs> people. Of course, that's annoying as hell. And because people don't know why all of this is happening, which is around IQ and disparities between ethnicities, because people don't know why this is happening, they have no choice but to indulge in bottomless rage and bottomless appeasement. And that can't be sustained. What's going to happen, Edward? What is going to happen? I fear for my... When America, no, when America runs out of money. It's just like full-on like crime and just violence. Just like basically Venezuela. That's exactly what we're looking at. We're looking at Venezuela in our future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think or South Africa. Yeah. I, I think a lot of this like you you talk a lot about um parenting and raising kids and children and all these things and I think a lot of it roots from that. Like all these like all this hate and all this like like resentment is it comes a lot from like the way these people are being raised, like the way people around me are being raised. Like it's it's just it, it's like there's like no care for like the child like the ch like the child just like lives on his own and then like until they're old enough and then they like like they can like leave for all they care and it's just yeah, like yeah and and the, the ch children of certain minority groups not all but the children are often raised with this idea well remember white people hate you <laughs> yeah, that's, just for breathing. That's like white, white people hate you. They look down on you. They feel superior to you. They don't like you. They think your food smells bad. They hate your music. They don't like the fact that you can dance better. They just dislike you all around. I, I, now go into a white society and succeed. Off you go. Like literally, like like that's not even like that far from like the truth. Like it's it's so. Like, I know. Like <laughs> I, I've had I basically I've I've been looking for purchasing a home and a friend of mine who's uh who's black told me hey like you're not really gonna find a good home because is rigged against blacks and Hispanics. Like they're not gonna like give you the loan you want or this, they're gonna give you like the really high rates and all this other crazy stuff. It's like that stuff is literally given to people as advice. Like it's given like to like, people oh, from talk day about, one. Like yeah, they talk Black about people this, like, say we have to beat our kids so that they're frightened of white people. I mean <laughs> some, right? And the reality is of course that the housing crash, which was disastrous for minorities as well as 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 whites um, was because there were too many loans given to people who couldn't afford them, a lot of whom were blacks and Hispanics. And, and black-owned banks give fewer loans to black people than white-owned banks. It's not racism. Bankers are pretty good at counting and lobbying. Well, it's like, and then I also think like it's like the only color like that really matters is just green. Like you got the money, you got the credit, you got the job. You don't. It doesn't matter what race you are. And but it's just. 
they're so they're so like deep in it, and then there's like this like weird like bubble where like it's just like it's us versus them kind of thing. And then oh it's yeah, like, like and it was I'm like, a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Queen, right? And I, I, what the hell did I know? I mean, when I was a kid, I never thought about race. I had black friends. I had um, Asian friends. I had uh, an Indian guy named Stephen. I used to hang out with. Went to his place for the weekends all the time. Never thought about it. I didn't, I didn't care. Didn't care. Love, love to have continued that way. That's just not the way life goes. But anyway, um, I totally lost my thought. <laughs> I totally. Wow, that's rare. Sorry, <laughs> train jumped the tracks. We've <laughs> gone AWOL. I was going stepping forward. <laughs> no, I remember that. <laughs> oh, uh, the conversation. Oh, about it's going to be yeah. good too. Oh no. Come back, thought. It's about us, uh, about like basically like uh, racism being taught to kill children from like the start. Steph, clearly your thought was afraid of being called racist. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Son of a bitch. You know what? Three o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna wake up and call you, Edward. Is that okay? Because I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna wake up three o'clock in the morning. We'll just finish that part and we'll splice it into the show. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I, I like I um yeah, like I'm a big fan. Like I, I, I honestly like wanna thank you so much for all these honest conversations you've had, like all these the facts, like the like you you're like one of very few people who actually links the articles and conversations that you're actually talking about. And whenever someone like, comes up to me like, Oh, well what the hell is he talking about? Like it's it's like right there in your comments, like just look it up. It's right there. Like you, you don't even have to do all the hard work because he hasn't done. He's already done it for you. <laughs> and it's it's such a fresh breath of air. Like to just finally have someone who's like trying to like really get these facts out there. And whatever, like uh, like basically, I really, really wanted to do this conversation, and I was like really, uh, what's the word? Um, um, like what? what uh, what's the word? Anticipating, looking forward to, excited about. Uh, like, um, uh, like uh, anxiety. I had like a lot of anxiety. Like, to think, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what if uh, someone heard this? Like, what if someone thinks about this? Like, oh, well, what would they think about me? Like, what are they going to say about me? Because it's going to happen. Is people are going to like find out and they're going to see it and they're going to be like, oh, this guy thought about this like, the whole time. And then it's just like, yeah, like we have to talk about this. Like I, I have to like come on here and talk to you about this because I I I don't see a lot of people really talking about this and I I'm really happy to contribute to this because like I it's it there's a lot of like um, I'm hoping there's like people more people like me that like just sees like like the bullshit for what it is. Yeah, and look, Edward. I mean, I think everyone's gonna get. I mean, they'll always be haters, right? I mean, who cares, right? They're inconsequential in 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 the general scheme of things, but. You and I are both coming from a very honest and positive place. I want race relations to get better. I want everyone to to get along better. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, I can get away with this stuff because it really does come from a very positive and loving place for me, recognizing that we are in these societies together. Right now, shit ain't working. And there's better ways for things to work. We have to start acknowledging reality and working together to transfer some of the better practices from every culture. And I think the fact that it's coming from a positive place for both of us uh, is, is what will shield us from, you know, just people, oh, racism, what I think, 
of course, like I, I care about the black community getting better, which is why I won't lie to black people. You know, I mean, lying to black people is so racist. I want the Hispanic community to be happier and to do better and to do to do fantastically. So I'm not going to lie to the Hispanic community because that would be, oh, well, the poor black and Hispanic community, well, they can't handle any truth. So I'm just going to pat them on the head and say, oh, it's nothing you're doing. It's nothing that's nature. It's just, you know, white racism. So I'm going to take away all your agency. I'm going to take away all your responsibility. I'm going to take the whole burden on myself like Jesus H. Christ himself. And I'm going to go crucify myself on the liberal media so that you, I mean, that would be so racist. Hispanic people can handle the truth. Black people can handle the truth. What society can't handle is people being lied to, especially when those lies generate exactly the kind of hate that people say they're trying to prevent. Yeah, it's so ironic that they're creating exactly what they don't want. It, it, it's, it, it just blows my mind that they can't see that. Well, I mean, the, the, the leftists all want Hispanics and blacks to be dependent on the states, guaranteed votes. I mean, that's that's tragic. Uh, and um, anyway, listen, is it all right if I move on to the next caller? We, we had a good old swing at, at a very challenging issue. I just wanted to tell you, great conversation, man. You are welcome back anytime. I appreciate you breaking ranks. No, I appreciate you uh, giving me the secret password to the Hispanic Club of Anti-White Hatred. But no, I really appreciate you because you're being very frank and honest. And, and that's where we all need to start when we have these conversations. So I really, really appreciate you calling in. Yeah, no problem. It's it's just one of those things that like I can't just like like be silent about it. I gotta like talk about it. And I wish and I hope a lot more Hispanic and Latinos like come out and talk about this too because I've seen uh, people from the Black community come out and talk about it. So I'm hoping that there's more people um, in in all kinds of racial backgrounds that come out and talk about how they can improve and getting rid of these like stigmas in in their own culture. Like it's. And I really appreciate having these conversations with you, and and like it's like you're you're doing an awesome job, and I and I hope that that things go in the right direction soon. Oh, we're we're working on it, man. Um, so I I just wanted to mention because of course this is something that it comes up a lot, and this idea that Trump was saying that all Mexicans are rapists. I mean, the man hires thousands and thousands of Mexicans. Of course, I mean, of course, he's in the construction business, people. He knows some Mexicans. He's not hiring thousands of rapists. Um, what he was talking about was he was saying that when Mexico sends its people. Now, there are pamphlets that have been around uh, in the sort of early to mid 2000s, which were pamphlets about how to cross the border into America put out by the Mexican government. So he's aware of that. Not a lot of people are. We're actually going to have that come out as a show. Um when he's talking about people being ra rapists, what he's talking about is uh, an immigration study. According to rec directors of migrant shelters, a, quote, staggering 80% of Central American girls and women crossing Mexico en route to the United States are raped along the way. Now, 80%, it's probably higher. That's high no matter what. And that's what he was referring to. Um, in in Amnesty International previously put the number at 60%, and they said women and girl migrants, especially those without legal status traveling in remote areas or on trains, are at heightened risk of sexual violence at the hands of criminal gangs, people traffickers, other migrants, or corrupt officials. That's from a 2010 Amnesty International report. So he wasn't saying all Mexicans are rapists. He was saying that there is a lot of rapists operating around the border, and if you don't think 80% is a lot, 
you need to think again. So thanks again, Edward. Welcome back anytime. Appreciate the conversation. Uh, let's move on to the next. All right. Up next is Alex. Alex wrote in and said, Like you, I am not a fan of the government slash the state. However, I am also not a fan of the private sector. Because part of the reason why the U.S. government is so corrupt is because of special interests within the private sector. I understand in terms of efficiency, but in terms of morality and justice, why should the private sector be trusted over the state? That's from Alex. Well, hi, Alex. How are you doing tonight? Uh, very fine. It's uh, nice to be talking to you. Um, very. <laughs> yes, thank you. My pleasure. Uh, it's great to be talking to you, too, and you, you bring up a very good question. And um, I don't want to answer it right away if there's more that you wanted to add or flesh out. So is there anything you wanted to add to the question? Well, um, yeah. So like I said before, I'm not a um, big fan of the state anymore, but um, that that is a fairly recent thing in my line of thinking. I guess I kind of had a... Um, a political awakening of sorts like like for example um i live in pennsylvania and my state primary was in april and you know i regret saying this but i voted for bernie sanders i wouldn't do that now i wouldn't do that now because i'm not a big but you voted for bernie sanders because you want people to have nice things for free and who doesn't Right. Well, 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 well. The thing, well, the thing about it is, like, I, I just, I just didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I, I didn't, I didn't get the full picture. It was, you know, I, I actually cut a lot of millennials. I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, I went to, I've been to my community college past year, and I hate a lot of them. But, um, like, I kind of give them kind of slack because they haven't lived in a world that isn't full of crony capitalism. And so what they do is that they react to that, but they go way far in the other direction. They go into the direction of like socialism and stuff. And that's like the mistake. I, I kind of want to tell them that. Well, it's, it's video games too. Video games constantly program children to look at corporations as evil. I'm looking at you, Leandri Corporation from Unreal Tournament X to Infinity. No. Right. Who are, the, who are the villains? Who are the villains in children's stories, in children's movies, uh, in video games. It's always the real estate developer who wants to pave over the the, the park where the, the children yep. play and the animals gather. And um, uh, it is uh, always the corporations, right? Think of the movie Alien. Mm -hmm. Alien. Is it the government that is sending? No, it's the, it's the corporation that wants to harvest these, these monsters for weaponry or whatever, right? So... The, 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 what else would they know that the the general pattern i mean look at bioshock Ooh, this is what happens to an objectivist society <laughs> there are zombie children and you've got to spatter their brains brains across the wall because rent i mean yeah right so so there's an endless amount of cultural programming this is not even it's just entertainment not even counting what goes on in government schools and so on oh yeah. and so how would they know i mean it would like expecting them to to come out of the womb speaking fluent japanese i mean how would they know how would you know how how did i know? i was a socialist in my teenage years because the idea that everyone was lying to me and controlling me was too terrifying to even consider yeah it's it's um you know, just, you know, looking back retroactively at all of that, like, I don't know, like, I'm almost, 
I'm almost kind of like pissed that I even considered myself part of the left at one point because like the thing about it is because like, you know, particularly in the United States, you know, the left always portrays itself as, you know, um, for the downtrodden, for the minority and all that stuff. But in reality, you don't give a fuck about that. Like, you, you don't actually care about that. You don't actually well, they, they need them. Because they have to be downtrodden for you to be concerned about. So the last thing you want to do is get rid of the downtrodden. You need them. No, no, yeah, I, I know. But like they, but obviously they, they make you think that like, oh, we're going to make it better and everything like that. But, you know, then you look a little bit like, it, like for me, it, it took time. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, uh, it wasn't like something that like I just came around to in like one, in one day. It was a process. And then eventually I was just like, well. Shit, I was wrong. So, um, well, no, you weren't wrong. You were lied to. Oh, you know, you you can't call yourself an idiot if your GPS puts you takes you to the wrong place, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to trust. I mean, you got to trust the people around you when you're growing up. I mean, that's not, that's how culture. That's why cultural nonsense and lies. I mean, this is the, how the matrix reproduces itself is uh, all children must bond with and be dependent upon their parents, whether their parents' beliefs are true or false. It doesn't really matter. Your parents are the example of sexual success, and if this is what you have to believe in order to reproduce your genes, guess what your genes are going to tell you? Believe, believe, believe. Yeah, and um, uh, you know, and the thing about it, like, I don't know what it is about like my particular generation, but they like all the forces, and I saw this growing up too, just like just being in in class with a lot of people, and like you know, just w the priorities and and what they what they care about and it's and it's um and it's almost like they were like engineered to be you know to not focus in on these areas like no don't don't focus in on you know these you know real problem that's going on in the world be concerned about what's going on with you know fucking kim kardashian or some shit you know what i mean so like i don't know i, I just feel really sad like i feel really sad for uh people of my generation i feel sad for the whole future to be honest like it, oh, people have been people have been utterly robbed. Children have been utterly and, robbed. I was robbed, but that robbery is escalating now. Children have been utterly robbed of their birthright of rational, clear, critical thinking. Uh, they have been replaced with giant umbilical cords leading straight up to the Hildenburg <laughs> underbelly of fascist state power, which is now how they have to draw their sustenance. They've made been made dependent on corruption, dependent on lies, dependent on stolen money and stolen power and dependent on being force-fed the last shred of their freedom in order to pretend to survive for a little while longer. Uh, the entire younger generations have been entirely stripped and, and robbed of their fundamental birthright and the entire purpose of their brains, which is to rationally process and assess information and evidence according to reason. And uh, this has uh, it is an unbelievable disemboweling of the human mind and thus an evisceration of the human spirit mm -hmm. to have robbed children to this degree. Yeah. And I think one of the only reasons why I eventually was able to do this, because all my life, like as, as soon as I um, was able to read, like, I, I don't know why, but I've always just been interested in history. Like, I, I love studying history. And, um, you know. To to be honest, you know, just looking at where we are now, like in a point of history, like it looks like one of those um points, like you know, when I'm reading the history, but like like oh wait, like the shit's about to jump off, like you know, you know what I mean? Like like it, like I don't understand, you know, like people say like oh you know, 
when are we going to change? But um, the, do you know who um, Dan Carlin is, the guy who does hardcore history? Do I know who Dan Carlin on? He's been on this show. Oh, oh, okay. I, uh, it's all right. It was a while back, but yeah. yeah. No, yeah. And he and he he said something once on a podcast that I thought was very interesting. He said, like, how long can we stay the way we are, really? And I, I think that's, that's a, almost a more interesting question because, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, just kind of, just kind of have lost hope or whatever, but um, I, I almost just want to like you you released some video today and you said it's popcorn time i almost just want to do that like i almost just want to kick back and just watch every everything go to shit because that's honestly like how i see it going like that's i honestly don't see um any of this getting better without it getting exponentially harder first yeah no i mean it's it's like um peak social justice warrior nonsense that's going on in campuses these days oh well, my God. that's i mean that that's all going to end because the student loan debt bubble which is currently cooking at about a trillion dollars is all going to collapse then far fewer people are going to end up going to college which means they'll be able to raise their standards and have intelligent people back in colleges intelligent people can handle free speech idiots can't <laughs> so the fact that they've just had to lower their standard because there's massive amounts of government money rolling in through subsidized loans and, and benefits and all of that, they just had to let idiots into campuses and idiots can't handle free speech, which is why they generally don't get much exposure to it. They just stay on uh, their own little uh, circle uh, of um, confirmation bias. So this is all going to end. You know, I mean, I appreciate what uh, some of the tours are doing at the moment to expose this stuff. I think it's it's powerful and it's fantastic. And I applaud Milo in particular for what. Oh, I love uh, that. I love I love watching those videos. Those videos are just great. Watching them talk and then just you know, I don't know, just watching them be totally defiant to the protesters. It's great. Yeah, when, when I heard he was carried in by like twelve guys, I thought that was just like six guys for each testicle. For the guy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just what I assumed that he was just uh, he was just coming in balls first, like that giant thing that rolls down and almost crushes Indiana Jones at the beginning of the first movie. So I appreciate, but but this stuff's gonna, it's all going to end anyway because the student loan bubble is going to bust, and then colleges are going to collapse down to the smart people, and smart people can't be taught by dumb people, so they'll have to get smarter professors in, as opposed to the. A lot of not so smart professors, in my opinion, that are around at the moment. So it's you know it's it's great that there's this exposure out there. The exposure won't end it. The numbers, the finances will end it. That this bubble's going to bust, and they'll the colleges will shrink back down to teaching the elite of the intellects as they used to. And smart people will be out there, and you won't have any problem with freedom of speech because smart people don't have much problem with freedom of speech because, as Aristotle said, it is the, one of the fundamental marks of an educated mind to be able to entertain an opposing idea without accepting it. And um, yeah, so. Uh, all of this stuff. So how is this going to end? It's going to end because because math. It's going to end because numbers. It's going to end in the yeah. same way that the overbuilding of the housing market ended. It, it's it, it really just is like when, when when you get down to it, like like you said, like the numbers, and when you just get down to like the very root causes of like almost all the problems we have in this country when it comes to you know whether you know. A lot of it just goes back to the fact that we've had um, the Federal Reserve for what a hundred and three years. It was nineteen thirteen, right? Isn't that when? Yeah. Isn't that when? Yeah, that's when that was instituted. And like y you know, it. it th I, I feel like that's when it like really goes back. And that's a hundred and three years we've been doing. We've been doing business this kind of way. We've been doing <laughs> things this kind of way. It's just. It's just so. 
it really i can't really say anything other than it's so stupid and it drives me mad it really it really does like you know oh okay like isn't isn't like um printing your own money one of like the things that defines you as a sovereign nation no printing your own money is what defines you as a counterfeiter oh <laughs> that that's a that's a criminal action and of course because i'm into universal ethics it doesn't matter what you call yourself you're still a counterfeiter uh no no you you should not go money should be entirely privatized and of course it would be mostly electronic and anonymous and all that kind of stuff if that were the case but anyway oh. let's get to the question before I completely forget. Um, mm -hmm. Why should the private sector be trusted over the state? Well, okay, we're going to have to separate these two up front. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, you, you can't really talk about religion if the Pope runs your country, like politically. Of course. Right? So you need a separation of church and state in order to be able to talk about religion. You need a separation of state and economics in order to be able to talk about corporations as something other than fascistic donors for um uh, capitalist benefits, right? So in terms of why should the private sector be trusted over the state? Because you can say no. Mm. You can say no. You can say no to the private sector. If the private sector raises the price of something beyond what you want to pay, what do you do? You, you just don't, don't buy it. You don't buy it. Can they come and steal the money from you? Can they come to your house and force you to pay for it? Can they throw you in jail if you don't buy it? Of course not. They offer, you say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Now, if the government decides to raise your taxes, what are your options? Well, you have to. They send your ass to jail. <laughs> so that capacity to say no is the difference okay. between lovemaking and rape. So yeah. why should I trust someone who just wants to have sex with me and wants to seduce me over a rapist? Well, because you can say no. Can't say no to the rapist. Really? But you can say no to somebody who's just putting it on display, right? And yeah. Making, making a play for you or whatever, right? So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that you can say no. Now, of course, when corporations get the state to do stuff, right? Some car company gets the state to ban car imports. Okay, well, that's a problem. But that's a problem with state power. The state corrupts everything it touches. Everything it touches. You know... With regards to, you know, the old saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm -hmm. If you run a corporation and you don't take advantage of political benefits that you could, you are actually in breach of your fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders. Uh -huh. I mean, you can get fired. I imagine you could probably even get sued. If you allowed your ideology, like if, if some government offered you some huge contract and you, you know, and, and you said no, because I you know, government is whatever, right? Well, then you're minimum, you're probably going to get fired maximum, you could end up being sued and, and lose everything, right? So the way that the game is rigged at the moment, corporations must take advantage of it in order to survive. And I don't know if you've ever been a business owner, but when you are a business owner, when you are an entrepreneur, you really care about your employees. I mean, I know for me, I was friends with a lot of my employees. We went on vacations together. We all went whitewater rafting together. We all did fun stuff together. I really liked these people. And we all hung out even after a lot of us had left uh, the, the, the company. We would hang out and, and uh, see each other from time to time. And it was really, it was a lovely thing. And, you know, you, you see the fresh young ladies that you hire um, get married and have babies. They bring their babies in. It's a beautiful thing. You care about your employees. And so you don't 
want to do stuff that is going to destroy everything you've worked so crazily hard to build. Like, I mean, if you're a CEO, you've spent 20 years or 30 years of 80-hour weeks, endless travel, extra education, nights not seeing your family, nights not seeing your kids. You have to be a total workaholic to get to the top of the corporate structure. You're not going to throw that away lightly. Yeah, yeah, of There's course. not a lot of ideology that's going to say, well, but... Uh, now I've become a libertarian. I'm not taking any government contracts, so I'm going to get fired. So me not seeing my children grow up is totally worth it now. I mean, that, that's not, I mean, people are committed. They commit. They commit. And so um, the fact that the government can provide these enormous benefits and there's no greater return on investment for most corporations than buying a congressman or buying a congresswoman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I bet. I mean, they, they, they've done studies on this. Like, it's insane how high the return on investment is. And um, you can't not do that if you're in the business world. So the fact that the power is there means that you have to use it or you go out of business. Everything you've worked for gets destroyed. All the people you care about lose their jobs. All of the customers that you ask to trust you lose their supplier. I mean, it is a truly brutal thing to go through the bankruptcy or the failure of, or you'll just get bought out and you'll get your ass fired and maybe sued. So uh, that's just the way the game is at the moment. And I'm, I, you, you can bitch at the corporations if you want. But, you know, if it's a legal move in chess, there's not much point bitching at people who take it, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I understand. I understand that. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it just, um, I, I feel like that, honestly, right there that you're talking about, though, that, that acknowledgement of, um, you know, people, you know, up top in the corporations buying off politicians, you know, I honestly think that that that's why, you know, and it's it's obvious, but that's why people like Sanders and Trump are doing, you know, like I already think pretty much that Trump's going to win just because of the fact that he's not part of the establishment. You, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Like, 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 you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, you know. He's bombastic. This he said that he's contradicted himself here, and like what I, what I would what I'd want to tell these people like on TV is you know in the media like nobody cares about that anymore. Like nobody cares. It's 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 not who it usually is. So that's what that's what's happening because it really doesn't matter because they're doing such a shitty job anyway. You know what I mean? Like that's well, and this is why the the media is just firing blanks. Yeah, people look. <laughs> Let's say that you're a terrible racist, right? <laughs> Let's say you are, right? And you, you hate Asians. Yeah. South Asians, right? You're on the Titanic. <laughs> and the ship is going down. You've got, what, 90, 90 seconds to 120 seconds to survive in that frigid water before you start to get hypothermia and stuff. And there are a bunch of Asians who are inviting you into the last seat on their lifeboat. Mm -hmm. What are you going to choose? <laughs> the lifeboat you're going to choose the life you're going to overcome your race and choose the life and this is a way of looking at things in context that everybody deep down everybody deep down understands the unsustainability of the western model oh and so the yeah. fact that so so if trump is going to bring manufacturing back can you imagine detroit with manufacturing back to some degree? Yo, I live in a That's town. Incredible. So people say, oh, well, he's screaming racism at people. Like, no, he's the lifeboat. I don't care. 
Yeah. I don't care. He's got a seat on the light boat for me, lifeboat for me. I don't care what you're calling him. And the media doesn't understand that because they don't spend time with the ordinary American people. The media live in this incredibly rarefied world where they're all packing, patting each other on the back, calling each other moral heroes, handing a Peabody Awards to each other for the most useless bullshit on the planet. They don't understand what the agony of the average person is. They spend all their time around Democrats. They spend all their time around rich people. They all live in gated communities. They don't really know any minorities. They don't have the kinds of conversations we just had on the show with Edward, the uh, fantastic Hispanic. I mean, they don't, they don't know. So they, they, to, to them, Trump is completely un, like, doesn't make any sense. They don't even think the sh- there's any problem with the ship. They have no idea why people are thundering towards the lifeboats. But, you know, it's because they can't count. Just want to point out something here, just to get some facts. Between 2007 and 2012, 200 of America's most politically active corporations spent a combined $5.8 billion billion on federal lobbying and campaign contributions. Mm-hmm. Now, $5.8 billion. What do you think they got back from the government for that in dollar value? Uh, a lot of, a lot of good stuff. I mean, I mean, I don't know exactly what, but I'm sure something that helps them with something in some sort of way. I mean, that it's something Well, let that- me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. If you get a 10% ROI, return on investment, that's pretty good, right? If you get 50%, that's staggering. If you get 100%, that's mind-blowing. It's way more than that. So they spent $5.8 billion lobbying and campaign contributions. They got $4.4 trillion with a T back in federal business and support. No, this is truly a – that's like 800 or 900 times, not, not ROI, 8 to 900 times ROI. So let's put this in context. Individual taxpayers pay $6.5 trillion into the federal treasury every year. $4.4 trillion of that went back to the 200 politically active corporations for $5.8 billion of lobbying and campaign contributions. So in other words, by spending just under $6 billion to bribe the U.S. government, I mean, that's about what GM spent on stock buybacks alone recently. U.S. corporations are getting the direct benefit of two-thirds of the U.S. taxpayers' labor. (laughs) How can you say no? If I said to you, listen, man, Give me $1,000, I'm going to give you $850,000 back. What would you say? Guaranteed. Oh, yeah, of course. Tax-free. Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? But that would be like, of course. I mean, people play the lottery for that, right? Yeah. Put a dollar in the lottery, get 850 bucks back. It's astounding. Yeah. I mean, um, in my town in particular, um, there are a... um, a lot of Trump supporters. There's a, there's a lot of Bernie supporters. There are no Hillary supporters where I live for some reason. Even though I'm in Pennsylvania and she won uh, this state, like almost, I, I've like never even seen a Hillary sign anywhere. But sorry, just before I forget, it's <laughs> seven hundred and fifty, not eight hundred and fifty. Seven hundred and fifty thousand bucks back for a thousand buck. I just wanted because people are going to correct. I did that off the top of my head, but it's seven hundred and fifty. Sorry, uh, go ahead. That's, so that's Hillary. Right. Yeah, yeah, and um, so I live in a town called Bethlehem and Bethlehem used to have this thing called Bethlehem steel and 
like I literally went to high school and my high school overlooks the old Bethlehem steel manufacturing. Part of it was converted into a casino now. And um, like like the vast majority of American business, it has gone from manufacturing to gambling. Yeah, no, no, no yeah. It, Hello, bye bye Main Street. Hello Wall Street. It, Sorry, go on. Yeah, it it literally it like half of the half of the um place literally is is a uh, Sands Casino now. It's actually taking business away from like Atlantic City. And like people, and that's a whole other thing. And but, that's a consumption good. That's an entertainment good. Yeah. Right. The, the Bethlehem Steel was actually creating stuff. Uh, this is all consumption. War, yeah. Um. In World War Two, uh, Bethlehem Steel made like uh, I forgot, but like almost like uh, a lot of the tanks and and um the the I think part of the the first World Trade Center too was made was uh made at um Bethlehem Steel. There's a there's a Billy Joel song about. How in Bethlehem they're all lining up for un un unemployment or whatever in some song. And we won't be coming back today. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're standing here in Allentown, Allentown right? Yeah, there we go. That's yeah. That I love Billy Joel, by the way. <laughs> One of the few human beings on the planet whose voice got even better when he got older. But anyway, go ahead. No, yeah, uh, that that's um, Allentown and Bethlehem are kind of like a same kind of metropolitan area. And that's what that song was about because um, in the seventies, that's when uh, everything started going downhill for them. And like, I well, and there is—I mean, the 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 EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, is currently readying a whole slew of new regulations that pretty much is designed to shut down the entire industry in the United States. The entire energy industry is is being threatened. And again, this is where people are panicking. And uh, do you think they're going to run to to Bernie Sanders? Um, it seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's it's a big trick. I mean, like, I, I kind of understand why. I mean, I don't understand because I know the truth now, but I kind of understand why people flock to him because when you say things about, um, you know, oh, these, you know, people in the private sector, these capitalists are, you know, getting things from these from the government, like, um. I don't know. I, like it seems to be the two ways different people react, and uh, some people react by just saying, "Oh, well, because they're allowed to do that, then we got to get rid of fucking capitalism or, or anything," which is totally ridiculous, and everything like that. And then there's the more sensible reaction, but that's that's really why. Like I remember when I first heard Bernie Sanders, the reason why I did, well, I liked him at first, is because he was the only person in the Democratic primary who was pointing out, like, "Oh, hey." You're getting money from this person. Like, why should we trust you? You know what I mean? So, um, there was that. But yeah, I just, I remember, you know, because I would drive, I graduated last, last year, but I would always pass these steelworks uh, every day on my way to school. And I would just be like, you know, wow, you know, if this was like 50 years ago, I could graduate out my school. And, you know, like my grandfather did, like he, he graduated high school you know, got some, you know, manufacturing job, you know, started building a family. Then when he was ready and knew what he wanted to do with his life, then he moved on and started going to college and stuff like that. And like, that just sucks. Cause like, I can't do that. Like there's no opportunity for that because it's gone. And like, I hate that, you know, I'm still, you know, I, I can't. Well, and, and because it's gone, other jobs won't pay as much because there's less competition for your labor. Exactly. Like you, you if you never want to set foot in a manufacturing plant, 
you still benefit from there being manufacturing plants because it siphons off labor that otherwise might be competing for whatever you're doing, which drives the price of your labor up. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, the idea that Bernie Sanders wants to get politics, like money out of politics yeah. is, uh, I mean, it's not true. Right. I mean, he's he's going to steal from the rich and give to the poor and absolve people of their student debt and bribe here and bribe there and give people more leave. And I mean, it's 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 just bribery as, as I mean, he's not he's not even remotely interested in getting money uh, out of politics. Uh, so uh, that's sort of a misnomer compared to Hillary. Oh, uh, compared to Hillary. I mean, I mean, she's just she's bought and paid she, for. I mean, she'll follow that ring of political power like Gollum over the cliff edge of Mount Doom. Uh, but uh, he's no he's no saint. The guy didn't have a real job till he was 40, and then his only real job was working in the government. Jesus, what the hell does this guy know about the market? I mean, he probably never even played Monopoly as a kid. <laughs> ah, it's too monopolistic. Yeah, and, you know, I, I see what's, you know, I see, you know, I, I personally, when I, um, I like to listen to, like, all the different um, mediums, you know, like, I, li I listen to, to, to you and even the people that I don't like, like I li I like listening to what they're saying on their side, just so I know what they're saying and where where they're, you know, not that I even understand where they're coming from. I just like knowing to hear what they're talking about and everything like that. And when I go, when I you know see like Hillary people, I I'm just waiting because you know every poll like every week I see it. You know, he gets Trump gets ahead of her, you know, every little week he keeps getting ahead and ahead. And they're in this bubble where it's just so impossible, impossible. And like the thing about it, too, is I don't even think that Donald Trump is like a perfect person. But what he's like doing, what he's bringing. Of course, I mean, that's a false. I mean, of course, he's not a perfect person who is. But all you need to know about the Democratic Party is that in a recent survey, 71 percent of Democrats said that Hillary should still run. Even if she's indicted, I know for her email scandal, and it's more than a scandal. The email I've gone, I got a whole truth about the Hillary email thing. So I mean, it's it's an unbelievably destructive and disastrous situation. And so the idea, seventy one percent of Democrats, they don't give a shit. So she's under indictment for completely destroying U.S. security and putting lives at risk, and and having foreign governments read uh, the most sensitive things in the U.S. government. Uh, so so she's under indictment for that. Fuck that. She's going to keep those cheddar balls rolling down the hill into my mouth. I don't give a shit. I don't care if the guy who gives me my lottery winnings is a pedophile. I just want my money. Shut up and give me the goddamn money. This is why there are a bunch of yapping birds like looking for someone to regurgitate a fucking worm down their throats. <laughs> but they don't care. They have because the, the, the people on the right, like the conservatives, they think that this shit should matter to people. No, well, yeah. she endangered national security. She lied. She obstructed. She all the stuff that she's accused of. And, and you know, the drip drip of all of these reports coming out. No, she never asked for permission and no permission would never have been given. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, apparently she did do it to avoid freedom of information requests. Oh, she said she gave 30,000 emails back to the State Department and those were all the work related emails. Now the fact that they're subpoenaing other people and checking out other people's emails, they're finding tons of emails she didn't turn over that are crucial. So she lied under oath. She, I mean, it's, and the people on the right are saying, well, I guess she must be done then because boy, that's terrible, immoral, evil, nasty stuff and likely highly illegal because they think it matters. 
to the Democrats that she may have done all of this unbelievably horrendous stuff. It doesn't matter to them. She is the lockpick to open the purse of the Fed for them. They don't care about the character. It's like in Ocean's Eleven, you know, there's that tiny gymnast who fits inside, I don't know, a gun barrel or whatever. He goes inside a Pez dispenser or something like that. Like if you're a criminal gang, you don't care if your lock picker is a good or bad guy. You just want him to open the goddamn lock and get you the money. The safe picker, the lock, I mean, you don't care. They're a bunch of criminals, my opinion, a bunch of criminals. <laughs> they want all the government money. And the fact that Hillary Clinton might be indicted, I don't care. Can she get me the money? Then I'm with her. I don't care about the ethics. I don't care about national security. I don't care about government secrets. I don't care about lives being put at risk. I don't care about failed negotiations. I don't care that foreign governments read everything secret about the U.S. government. I don't care. Just give me the money. It's And this is where you know, Republicans are always underestimating. Always underestimating the degree of corruption on the Democrat side. And that's why the Democrats are able to get away with so much. It's, you and then the media then says, ah, oh, yes. But you see, Donald Trump said he was going to raise millions for the vets. And then he took some time to vet the vet organizations, the veterans organizations, to make sure they were on the up and up. So there was some delay in getting the $5.6 million that Trump raised in one event alone to go to the veterans groups. There was some delay because he wanted to make sure it wasn't Bob's House of Veterans in, 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 uh, uh, in Puerto Rico or something like that. He wanted to make sure they wanted the up and it took a little time. Evil guy, terrible guy. Hillary's given $70,000 to the vets. And Trump's $5.6 million took a little bit of time to get across. And this is the level that they're working at. And um, she spends seventy thousand. She gives the vets seventy thousand dollars, and she sends them to fight in stupid, pointless wars. I mean, if you if you um, if you look at like a lot of the foreign policy, you know, you know the, the traditional wisdom in America, like oh, Republicans, you know, like war. Democrats don't like war. But it's completely flipped. This scenario, Donald, you know, Donald Trump doesn't want to send our troops, you know, and and die in a pointless war. And also what I never really got is like, even when I, you know, identified as being on the left one, you know, I heard the stuff about Hillary's email scandal and, you know, certain things came out like, you know, oh, she, you know, made her thing just straight out Clinton email, <laughs> like, you know, totally non-discreetly, like just acted, you know, really damn stupid. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people, you know, don't look at it and I'm talking about like regular Democratic voters. I'm not talking about, um, you know, her donors. I'm talking about like regular people who identify as Democrats. Is because honestly, I think that like when they read it, their their reaction would be, no one can be this stupid. No, nobody, no one would actually like nobody in the government. No, you, you see, you're trying to give excuses to them again. No, no, I no, I I swear I'm not because I've told, I've told, I've told. They don't people, care how stupid she was. They only care that she can crack the safe for them. I, but I've actually like, I've actually like talked to my friends who like are on the left, and I'm like, no, like watch this video, do that, and they see it, and they're just like, oh, that that is bad. But they don't like Hillary anyway because there there is like. There's definitely a divide in the Democratic Party. Uh, honestly. No, listen, that's, that's just before we get into that, I just want people to get the big picture of Hillary. Hillary 
Hillary might do what Hitler was unable to do. Hillary might have already done what Hitler was unable to do, which is to destroy Western civilization, as it was known at the time. Because Gaddafi, on knowing that, that Hillary was interested in, in helping topple his regime, Gaddafi in Libya said, if you topple me, I'm not standing between North Africans and Europe. I'm securing my borders. They can't come through Libya to get to Europe. If you topple me, the migrants are going to flood into Europe. Mm-hmm. And what does she work at? She worked at helping to topple Gaddafi. Yeah, and then there's that <laughs> weird and now sadistic the, clip of her. And now the, the migrants are pouring into Europe. They're being held briefly in Turkey, and Turkey is threatening to unleash them on the Europe unless Turkey's millions and millions and millions of Muslims get free access to go live wherever the hell they want in Europe. So, I mean, the emails is bad enough, but the emails didn't cause the potential destruction of Europe. But the fact that she was engaged in working with the toppling of Gaddafi opened up Libya, destroyed Libya, exacerbated civil wars in Syria, helped foment ISIS, and comes the tide to Europe. It's a war crime. What she has openly talked about in her emails is the toppling of a foreign government not threatening the United States. That is a war crime. <laughs> you know, if you were a, a, a World War I trench soldier and you didn't go over the wall when they told you to, they shot you in the mud. Yeah. It's... I don't... So this idea, well, no one could be that... I mean, oh, my God. I mean, this is like a potentially civilizing, civilization-ending witch, and 71% of people are like, yeah, I'll vote for her. She's getting indicted. Who cares? Okay, well, then that that must just be my last vestige of hope for humanity then, because that was my reaction to it. Like Like, when I saw that, that was my reaction to it. Like, oh, no, that's bad. I was wrong, but... Um, no, don't, don't confuse leftists with humanity. <laughs> don't, don't confuse something with its antonym, right? I mean, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't let the leftists have you despair for humanity. I'm a human being. I hope that uh, leftist corruption wouldn't have you lose any faith you might have in my moral and intellectual prowess and virtue, so uh, don't let them drag you down. No. All right, listen, i got to move on to the next caller, but I really, really appreciate the conversation. It was a great pleasure. And uh, feel free to call back anytime. Uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Up next is Mike. Mike wrote in and said, I am a genuinely attractive 43-year-old male dating in a major U.S. coastal city and have never been close to engagement, much less marriage. My experience with single women in my target age range has been that they only date men out of their league that they can use for short-term flings and then move on. This leaves me with an ethical quandary. Do I remain celibate and alone for years at a time until I connect with someone with a long-term potential? Or continue preying on unrealistic women and then dumping them when they demand a serious commitment? That's from Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You know, I was tired coming into the show, but... uh. I got my groove on. <laughs> I got my mojo back. And I was like, oh, who do I have to blow to not do a show tonight? But anyway, so I'm glad that we're able to have a chat. Um, tell me a little bit more 
about this? Well, I've been single for many, many years, and I've dated many, many women and had many relationships with many women and the pattern wait okay let, let's get some numbers here are we talking like man whore territory i mean where where we harem territory where are we do they no. call you the sultan of uh, big swinging dick what do we got no not not wilt chamberlain type of dating <laughs> i don't know how that guy had any time to play basketball but that's a topic for another time no just regular not an not an extraordinary number not a not too many one night stands, but short relationships, meeting women on the internet, um, primarily. Well, what do you mean by short? Like uh, weeks, months? What are we talking? Weeks, months, right? And you. And how, how many? How many women have you slept with? Sorry to say, you don't have to answer anything, but I, you know, give me a ballpark because I, um, I asked the women, and I think it's fair to ask the men too. I'm 42, so and I've never been married. So I, is it around your age? Is that, is, is that what this, the secret, the secret hint that you're putting? I'm 42. It's 42 women I've slept with. Is that what you mean? I really have no idea. I, it's, it must be about my age might be about right. Okay. So 40, 50 kind of women you slept with. Maybe 30 to 50. I, I, I don't know, but not. You should pull an Alanis Morissette and write them down one time. Might be interesting. It would. I, I should do that at some point. But me, what I'm most concerned about, what my my quandary, and I, I I could go on a rant about the decisions that single women are making these days. I don't know how helpful it is. I'm, do, do they involve credit cards and single motherhood? No, no. I have I've I've dated one single mother. Uh, I've not dated it's not so much about having babies. The issue that that I see with and I'm talking about w women that were raised by doting fathers who invested a lot in their education, women who are successful and moderately attractive to very attractive. What I see them doing or average to very attractive. I'm not talking about ugly women, but women that could easily get married when they're in their 20s. They're dating men who are a little bit or very much out of their league, and they're they're entranced by the elusiveness and the bad boy attitude of these guys. Well, sorry, out of their league, how? Because that's that's a pretty broad category. Well, for men, that would include looks. It would include things like like uh, social status, uh, things like fame, <clears throat> fame in certain places. Oh, so they're they're playing the hottery. In other words, like I talked about this in the truth about the Giangameshi trial, right? So you had these actresses who were trying to bag one of the alphas of the Canadian entertainment world whatever that's worth and they couldn't get him to commit and there's some theories as to why that might have been some hell hath no fury like a woman scorn vengeance thing so they're trying to hypergamy their way up to their maximum um alpha that they could possibly get to settle down right exactly and yeah and that's that's natural that's that's what women do i mean they they try and get everybody everybody does everybody tries to get the most attractive person they possibly can I'm not so sure that that was always natural or it, 
I think that if if women follow their whatever feels best at this moment instincts, then yes, they will chase the hottest guy, most exciting, mysterious guy they can get at any given moment. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I didn't say hottest, right? What I said is that women, like as a man, you want to get the most attractive woman. I don't just mean pretty, right? But you want to get the most attractive person that you can. Uh, and women want to get the most attractive man that they can. And that's hypergamy. They're always looking to trade up. And in the past, and let me very briefly just discuss this for the people who who don't know this. So in the past, a woman would get married in her late teens or in her early 20s. And she would take a, a gamble. She would take a risk because that would be prior to the man getting a lot of resources, right? Because, you know, if you're going to have a bunch of kids, you need a guy who's got a bunch of resources, right? And they would marry this guy and then they would be invested in, in his success and they would work very hard to make him successful because the more successful their man is, then the more resources, you know, absent the welfare state and all this other stuff, right? They needed the man to provide their resources. So they would, you know, there was an old saying behind every great man is a good woman, right? Helping him and supporting him and right. And, and, and that was selfish for her. I mean, good for it's a win-win, right? So she would have to choose a man based upon his future earning potential. But she, what she brought to the table was, was, was already immediately evident, right? Youth, uh, fertility, vitality, health, and all that kind of stuff, right? So she'd have the lustrous hair, the hourglass figure, the even features like the with clear eyes, whatever it would be that would be the markers of health. Now, there was still a risk. She might be infertile. Uh, I think one out of 10 married couples have problems within, with fertility and so on. But that was the way that it worked. So she would have to do the very best that she could to choose a man with future potential. And then she'd have to work very hard to make sure that he achieved that future potential. And that's why nagging was sometimes less in the past. Because if you nag a man, you break his spirit, and he can't succeed in the cutthroat world of going out and getting resources, which right. So this is one of the reasons why nagging, I think, has has kind of gone up. And we've got, uh, you know, more um, Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction than Barbara Billingsley in uh, Leave it to Beaver these days. And so uh, this idea that you want to get the best, well, the man chooses the best based upon looks and personality when the woman is young and he knows what he's getting and her value is going to decline over time. But the woman has to choose based on future potential what she's then invested in helping to bring to reality. And therefore, the man's value, sexual market value, goes up over time. The woman's sexual market value goes down over time. Man has more resources. Woman has older eggs and then eventually can't get pregnant at all. And so in the past, the fact that women wanted the very best they could get was something that they had to sort of intertwine themselves into and work to bring to fruition and work to help the man uh, be successful. So that's what I sort of mean by hypergamy. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly healthy. Now, the difference is that women have been told have kids later, which is a terrible idea, in my opinion. Um, and the government will support them in ways that 50 years ago, the richest man in the world could not support them, right? In terms of like the luxuries that they're able to get a hold of these days through the, through the government and through the free market and so on. And so now what's happened is women are tortured by hypergamy. Hypergamy plus the state has become pathological, it's gone from sort of healthy growth to tumoresque, cancerous overgrowth, right? The women are constantly looking to trade up, constantly looking to get get up, get further, and they can't ever settle. 
They can't ever settle these days because they're tortured by the hypergamous instinct that is not limited by an early commitment to monogamy. Does this I'm not saying you agree with it at all, but does it sort of make some sense? Yes, I, I agree with almost all of it. The one the one area that I or the one aspect that I think I diverge from your explanation is that when the women let's say that the average the average age for first marriage in nineteen eighty, I think was twenty two years old. And I, I think of that movie The Graduate where she was expected to get married. Um, the female lead was expected to get married to that fraternity guy right after college, and which now would be very, very unusual. And and there was pressure on her to find a guy to marry at that very young age. And there, so there was pressure to find a guy and to match up. And I think back then, you would have, if a woman were, let's say, a five, okay, let's just generalize. I know it's hard to do, but if we say a woman, you, all the, based on all the factors that we evaluate women on, is a five. And so, yeah, we're not just talking looks, but your character, personality, intelligence, wit, charm, all that stuff, right? Correct. And then you, okay. ha- you have a guy that is a five, based on all the factors that women care about with men. The two of them would match up. Because if she had a one-night stand with a seven and an eight, and had a, a short-term relationship with a six, she's not going to get, she's going to end up at, without a husband and her life is going to be ruined what's happening well well, certainly she's not going to end up even with a five so if she goes for the six or the seven or the eight she may bag them but then she's going to have to settle for a three or a four because the fives don't want her because she got used up by the other guys right right and and or nothing the way that i see what's happening now is that women that are fives or sixes or whatever are having series of relationships with men that are sixes and sevens, they inevitably get dumped because the men are just, you know, they're entertaining themselves. And then they end up 35 and then they tell people I've dated the wrong types of guys. And I've read, I see all these profiles online, these women, their thirties, late thirties, early forties. I've been dating the wrong types of guys. And now I realize I like nice guys, which means men that are at their level and really want them and treat them differently than the bad boys who don't really like them so much. Sure. Well, what they mean is that they overshot, right? They, they hypergamy led them, uh, hypergamy plus vanity led them to try to bag guys that they couldn't actually get to, to commit to them, right? Right. And it, it is, it is sort of like watching a herd of buffalo running off the side of a cliff, watching this occur. Always with the buffaloes, this show. But sorry, go on. <laughs> watching this occur. And it's a little sad. Um, I mean, I used to feel some vindication at some of these. I mean, the, the women tend to get more and more desperate. And now it's just, it's a little sad, and I, I, I'm hoping that there's going to be some kind of an awakening, but it's so against the grain of our current political correctness for wim- to tell women, you should not wait until even your 30s to get married. And I also don't... Well, shit, politicians don't want that. Because when women choose to go to work, right, this is, why, why the fuck does everyone say to women at their most fertile, postpone it till later? 
when you're broken up by a series of bad relationships, when your eggs are old, and there's another genetic thing we'll get into in a second. Well, because politicians want women to go to work now because they then generate taxes now. If you can get women to go to work now and defer having children, you get more tax money and you have to spend less of it on, on children. Like children are a huge expense for the government. It takes people out of the workforce. They've got to provide daycare. They've got to provide health care. It's hugely expensive. So why the hell would any politician want women to have children now? When they can say, oh, have them later. Go to work now. That way we can tax the living shit out of you. And then after I'm retired, we can deal with the demographic crater called you didn't have kids when you should have. Yeah, it's, it's, so, and, and women listen to this stupid shit. It, it, it is. I remember years ago, there was a card game that we used to play called Old Maid, which I don't know if they played that in Canada or not. I, I don't know either. I grew up in, mostly in England, but I, I remember the game. But go ahead. And I, I it just to, sort of emblematic of the fact that we refuse to talk about how women should not wait forever to find someone to marry they shouldn't hold out for the for the guys that are are not pursuing them for for marriage uh that game would not be sold in stores today it would be considered offensive right right because socialists want more money and the best way to get that is to get women to defer childbirth until later on in life if it ever happens well, they don't care later they don't care about women's happiness they don't care about the future of their culture or their group they just want tax money in the here and now they I mean that they they have the same relationship to tax money people on the left that that crack addicts have to crack they don't care about whether their teeth are going to fall out 3 days from now they just want their hit now so let me from someone from from my perspective the the ethical quandary that i identified in the question is it wrong these women that are self-destructive and don't think about the get into relationships without even considering long-term short-term is this someone that might have commitment in mind is there some kind of 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 uh is it wrong does it not is it buyer beware i'm sorry can you synthesize that question well if if all of the women that are in the dating well nearly all of the women in the dating market are will only date men that are sort of elusive and w slightly, let's say, out of their league, generalizing, obviously. Is it, because I keep having relationships that end with me feeling like I disrupted somebody's life and maybe I should have not started it in the first place. But that's what all these these women seem to be doing, is they they keep in uh, getting into relationships that rather than finding and I've been on both sides of the equation. I've been the nice guy where I've met women that are uh, attractive enough where I wanted something I could have seen wanting something long term, and I didn't seem as elusive and 
and uh, uh, mysterious and inaccessible. So the attraction level drops and uh, someone who's wealthier and has more going on, they'll, they'll go after them. So I've seen it from both perspectives. But most often, I don't feel guilty in those circumstances, but where I've had relationships with women and uh, one ended uh, not too long ago and and uh, I told her, look, I'm not right for you over and over again. Her family told her and she wouldn't, she just kept going and she's still trying to make amends after you know, it's, it's been over for a while and she should be going after some, you know, another type of guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I just want a big picture for a sec before we dive into that. So the poem written by Robert Herrick, this is in the 17th century, long time ago. So the, the issue of women getting like the women, Women not picking something and then being too old. Like, they don't pick the right man and then they end up too old to get married. Uh, this is just really old. You can go all the way back to ancient Greece for this. But um, this, is, this is the poem. It's pretty short. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow, will be dying. The glorious lamp of heaven, the sun, the higher he's a-getting. The sooner will his race be run, and nearer he's to setting. That age is best, which is the first, when youth and blood are warmer. But being spent, the worse, and worst times still succeed the former. Then be not coy, but use your time, and while ye may, go marry. For having lost but once your prime, you may forever tarry. So there's this weird thing that happened in like the 20th century, where everybody said, all of the accumulated wisdom of history is shit. It's all prejudice. It, we, we, we're bound by nothing. We're restrained by nothing. We can make man and women into whatever we want. We can make a new Soviet man. We can make a new fascist man. We can take men and turn them into soldiers for years of trench warfare. Everything's going All of the accumulated wisdom of history mm -hmm. was just considered to be rank prejudice, all tossed aside. Murray Rothbard wrote about this in the 60s, where he said, you know, everybody's just living together and having sex. Like, there's no such thing as crabs. <laughs> there's no such like that. Why bathe, they say. Why ba bathing is a bourgeois prejudice. It's like, well, you're going to get some pretty serious crotch rot and rashes and, you know, just got, like, they all had to learn this shit again. And there was this weird vanity that popped up in the 20s. Oh, we don't need any of this old wisdom. Marriage is a prejudice. Why, why do you need a mom and a dad? A mom can do just fine. And we don't need private institutions to take care of each other. We hand it all over to the state. Mm -hmm. And this poem itself is like, chicks, 
when you're young, you're hot. When you're old, you're not. So get married when you're at your peak sexual market value. Otherwise, nobody's going to want your used up old coups, right? Yeah, it, it's so, it, it is such common sense. And I mean, I'll bet gorilla, we, we've been talking about this gorilla just got shot. I'll bet in gorilla society, they make sure that their females find a good mate when they're young. You know, they don't just cast off the females to go uh, cavorting with you know, gorillas and leather jackets with motorcycles, you know, they like, they find a nice gorilla. I, it's not, it is so, it, it is so elemental that young females should find the proper mate when they, well, I'm, I mean, everyone is different, but if a woman wants to get married and have a family, the notion that she should be dating and having sex with lots of men until she's 39 or 40 and working uh, you know, working hard and developing a career and having having lots of boyfriends until she's 39 or 40 is completely absurd. And another thing that women don't seem to understand is it. We don't men really don't care that much about how much money they make or how successful they are or what their title is or how many degrees they have. We really don't. We are more concerned about wh whether they're nice to be with and how attractive they are and how youthful yep. they are. That is, yep. that is the most important. So, and I see this too with lots of women. They, they, they do not understand how much more attracted we are to them generally when they're 24, 25 versus even 35. It's not, has, they are completely unaware for the most part. Yes, because of course the media shows them all of these polished up Jennifer Lopez airbrushed vixens who are in their 30s and look fantastic. It's like, well, yeah, but she's got like a $20,000 laser youth machine in her and she's got makeup artists and they only shoot her from certain angles and she spends four hours a day working out and she's genetically gifted, right? And so they look at these freaks of nature and the genuine freaks of nature and they say, well, you know, they still look hot and it's like, it doesn't matter. The eggs change no matter what. Like the eggs are going to get old. I don't care how good they look in a bikini. I don't care how many sit-ups they did that morning. The eggs are still old. And I don't think that there's a woman alive fundamentally who doesn't know that men find more youthful women attractive. That's why they get so depressed when they hit the wall, when they get to be 30 or they get early 30s. The attention dries up. I think that there's a pre-wall I think once they hit the wall, then they see no one looks at them anymore when they walk down the street. But even pre-wall, there is a huge drop-off for women uh, from when they used to get married at 22, 23. There's a huge drop-off even because wall, I guess, could have different definitions. But I think for a lot of, for good-looking women, wall could be late 30s, mid to late 30s. But there's a huge drop-off in attractiveness level between well no 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 but the, the wall it's not just about attractiveness level i mean i i dated an older woman and one of my big concerns was we're in we're in a rush like if i wanted to settle down we're in a big rush because your eggs are getting older so and she looked fantastic but i knew about i mean it's not that hard to look up so even there's a time pressure then that happens, even if she looks fantastic, if she's in her mid to late 30s, there's a time pressure that you're not going to get with a 22 year old. I think there's also another, this is getting, 
well, with regards to fertility, I think there is a lot of denial out there, especially with with the there's been a little bit of scientific progress in the last 10 or 20 years, I suppose. But I don't think it's going to, unless you freeze your eggs, which maybe women are going to start doing, unless they do that, I, I think that they grossly overestimate what science can offer them, and they're in denial in that respect. And then they wake up when they're, they want to get married in their early 40s, they have no idea what their prospects are. I think they grossly overestimate their prospects in terms of fertility. No, and, and look, I mean, if, if you're getting your eggs sucked out and thrown in a freezer bag, you may have departed a little bit from what nature intended. That's just something that's kind of weird. That reminds me of another aspect of, of women wanting to marry when they're in their late 30s, which is, for the, for the, from a male's perspective... What I think, and I, I tend to date younger than that, but I've dated women that age before, and I would, if I were to marry women that age, I would think, how many men had you when you were at your, the, the prime of your beauty, who were you sleeping with at that time? And would you have dated me? when you were, what was I doing in 19 whatever, and what would you have dated me at that point? And how many, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you have married me when you were at the peak of your beauty instead of, you know, going on a yacht to the Greek islands with, you know, some... That was a Saudi prince. Friends. Right. Uh, right. And that's what... Yeah, so she, she, spent, she spent her time of high sexual market value on guys who didn't want to commit to her. And she bypassed you in order to chase after the alphas who didn't care about her enough to marry her. And now she's willing to settle for you. How's that going to make you feel? Right. And I don't mean she's, to sound... She's so desperate, right? Yeah, I'm not saying you, but, but that's the reality, right? Right. And that, that's what a lot of men who settle down with these women, they, they are sort of the chumps who, who uh, took the... Well, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to sound too cruel about it, but but a lot of a lot of these women, you know, they they maximize the return on their physical assets in their twenties. And I think about it if if I could have spent my my twenties dating women that were better looking than me, would pay for my entertainment, and would plan all of our all of our dates. You know, why would I want the fun to stop? And that's essentially what a lot of these women were getting. They were getting guys who would date them short term, kind of use them and have fun with them. And then they didn't want to marry them. And, and I was one of those guys as well. I, I had plenty of women that I dated short term, having absolutely no intentions of, of taking it long term. So, you know, I can't, com I can't complain so much. I've had some, some benefits to this system. I would have rather married in my 20s to a woman who was of about equal looks and intelligence and so forth. I would, prefer, I would have preferred it that way. That's just, it doesn't seem to be the way that women, women want. They, they're looking, they seem to be looking, what will, what will maximize my pleasure? Okay, but so, so listen, then, why, didn't you settle, why didn't you settle down in your 20s? I think, well, there's always lots of reasons for everybody, but there were, 
Uh, it's a little bit too complicated of, of a question. But I've always lived in cities, large cities, and the and women just don't seem to be marriage-minded in the cities that I've lived in. So you never met any marriage-minded women? No, I have. But the the women that have been most interested in me, and this goes back to this hypergamy issue, which is the women, women seem to be interested in guys that I believe, and I'm not, this isn't just... No, no, look, I already heard this story. Okay, so you met marriage-minded women in your 20s. People in cities do get married. I got married while living in a city. So you can meet marriage-minded women. You did meet marriage-minded women, but you didn't marry them. Why? It's not an accusation, I'm just curious. Well, the ones that I would have married uh, dumped me before I could marry them. And the ones that I... W oh, so they wanted to get married, they just didn't want to get married to you. Well, actually, I don't know if they, any of them got married, to be honest. I think No, but you said they were marriage-minded. Come on, let's, don't make me work this hard. I mean, it's late. So <laughs> All right, sorry. I'm, I'm they, just, they, I you, you met marriage-minded women who didn't want to get married to you because they dumped you. But why did they dump you if they wanted to get married? I don't know if any of them got... I was speculating when I said that. Wait, I, wait, hang on. Are you backing away from the statement that they were marriage-minded? Yes, because I don't really know if any of these women got, <laughs> got well, married. How did you that. know that they might be married? Come on, man. How did you, what made you think they were marriage-minded? Well, mar marriage-minded is a little bit of an open term for me. I mean, we didn't discuss marriage. I mean, they, they came well, from... Well, if they were marriage-minded and you never brought up marriage, I'm not surprised they left you, right? Was there any woman in your 20s that you ever brought up the topic of marriage with? No, not in terms of let's get married in... So you weren't marriage-minded in your 20s? Had I met a woman that I liked enough? Yes. Certainly in my 30s. In your 30s you were marriage-minded? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Okay. Now, in your 30s, did you meet any women who were marriage-minded? What would be evidence of marriage-minded? Discussing marriage openly? Should we get married if, if we date? A woman who says, I want to get married. Oh, but they, they all do, <laughs> That's though, not the, It's not they, incomprehensible, is it? But they all do. The problem is, is what they... Okay, see. good. Okay, okay, good, good. So they all want to get married. In your 20s, you did not meet a woman that you wanted to marry. In other words, you thought that there was going to be a better woman coming along, right? No, there. I can think of one offhand that I liked well enough where I would have kept dating her. But it, it didn't go on long enough for us to get to get that. Oh, I, I can't. I can't stand these passive constructions. It didn't go on. I mean, you, you're in the relationship, right? I mean, it's not. It's not like you were unconscious and a truck drove over you. Oh no, she dumped me. There's no question about that. Oh, and why did she dump you? She uh, she started dating uh, a colleague, an older colleague, and was choosing between the two of us. Okay, so you would have thought about marrying her. 
but she wanted somebody else. Right. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. that That's obviously a painful thing to go through. Well, no, now, how many no, women did you really. date in your 20s? No, it wasn't painful? Well, it was, you know, 15 years ago maybe, but but not now. Okay. But I'm not saying it's painful now. I'm just saying I'm sorry <laughs> it was painful then. Okay. So how many women did you date in your 20s? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, a, a lot. Okay, 10, 20. I mean, you said it's a couple of weeks, couple of months relationship. So I would guess between 10 and 20, right? Yes. Okay, so ten, but there were 10 and 20 women of whom only one did you even think about marrying, right? So you have a 5 to 10% dating to potentially thinking about marriage with the women that you're dating, right? Just rough numbers, right? Okay. Wait, you're saying, okay, like I'm cornering you. These are just, I'm working off the numbers that we're sort of roughly going with, right? Okay, I think that's not, that might be a little optimistic, but okay. You mean it's lower than 5% or 10%? I, I, would, I would say I meet a woman that I know that I would, I might want to marry. It happens to me once every couple years, once every three years, maybe. No, no, but you're dating these other women. So you dated lots of women you knew that you didn't want to marry. Yes. And while you're dating them, you're not available for a woman you might want to marry, right? Because you're dating. I assume you're dating and not sleeping around on the woman you're dating, right? That's true. But nowadays, we can just go... No, no, no. Forget now. Okay. No, forget now. We're talking about your 20s. We'll get to now. So you were chasing a lot of tail in your 20s that you didn't want to marry. And you're complaining about women's hypergamy? How is, how is it what you're complaining about with women is not what you did? I'm, I'm genuine. I mean, maybe I'm missing something here, so I'm genuinely happy to be corrected. Okay, because I view hypergamy as dating someone who is, has a higher single market value or higher social class than you. Okay, so you wanted to date women that you didn't like enough to marry, so they must have had some other compensatory factor, right? I mean, I assume they weren't, I don't want to marry them, they have one tooth and they're 300 pounds, right? Well, I wanted, chubby to, chaser. I wanted to sleep with them. Okay, okay, okay. So they had physical attractiveness that more than compensated for the fact that you didn't like them that much. And there's also, it, it is also nice to have female companionship, even if... No, no, I get that, but you can get quality female. So you went for hot rather than really likable, right? No, 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 no. These are women that maybe thought I was drop dead gorgeous and I thought they were okay looking. So these are Okay, so you didn't like them and they were much less attractive than you. No, maybe not much less, but they were maybe okay. a little less. You didn't like them that much and they were somewhat less attractive than you. If you want me to split hairs, we can waste time splitting hairs if you want, or we can just go with the conversation. Uh, that's right? a big distinction though. I It's really yeah. not that big a distinction. They were less attractive than you and you didn't want to marry them. So did you date them because they would just sleep they would sleep with you because you were attractive, right? Because they because of the physical relationship, because Because they were willing to sleep with you. So you were actually because you were more attractive than them, right? Physically you're more attractive than these women, right? So the only reason they would sleep with you is because they want to trade up. Because they have hypergamy. So it's weird that you're complaining about hypergamy, which you exploited throughout your 20s. Oh, I think I admitted that. 
okay, so you've you've exploited hypergamy and the fact that you are the guy that women wanted to trade up for, and now you but you are complaining that women date guys that they want to trade up for. But you are one of the guys that women date that they want to trade up for. Yes. Does this strike you as interesting at all? Yes, that's why I called. Because I I mean yes, I am a th this is the only way that that a lot of men I think there must be other men in my situation where the only way for us to to actively date it seems is we encounter these women that the the, the ones that are are um it seems that the the women that are, are their standards are so high that it is it they they will date men the only ones it's like a transaction that breaks down where the seller is demanding a price that's too high and right so but this is this but you're that guy they they want to trade up to you and you dump them or they dump you or something goes wrong but they're dating they're dating you who's more attractive than they are maybe more successful maybe more likable and so they're reaching too far up the hypergamy ladder you use them for sex they use you for status arm candy or sex whatever right and it doesn't work out and so what happened was you chose to have sex or you chose more easily accessible women because you were an alpha maybe you still are in terms of like sexual market value you were an alpha and so women were willing to sleep with you in the hopes that you'd commit. You didn't commit. You kept moving on. So I don't see how the fault of the problem here is women. Because you chose sex over marriage. Here's why I think it, the fault is the, is the decision-making on the part of women. The reason is, is because if, if women who were, let's say, a five were content with a man who were a five, an average guy, guy wasn't rich, wasn't good looking, was nothing, just an average guy, then we would have a market that functioned. So let's say I'm a six. If I, I, my standards are not abnormal. I've, I've dated very attractive women. I've dated okay looking women. My standards though, I have also been very, very into women that were not drop dead gorgeous just because I like their personalities. I think my standards are about at my level, but I think that w the market is breaking down because women can't be contented with their their uh, commensurate level guy. And there, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. There, there was an OK Cupid study. I think the guy that that owns OK Cupid uses the data and publishes these interesting studies and they they pulled the women ranked all the guys as like average below average above average i don't remember what the scale was and they found that the guys ranked like the the men ranked the women also and i think the men ranked if you scaled all the rankings you got average so the men were evenly assessing the women. Yeah, we've talked about this before. The okay. women rated all the guys below average, and the men, the men were more realistic, and the women were thought the guys were less attractive. Yes. And, yeah, I got it. And, and that's what I think is making the market malfunction. That's the reason you're not married, is that women misrate some guys on OKCupid. Is that, is that your argument? 
my argument is is that the force or the phenomenon that is making women rank guys incorrectly in OkCupid is also affecting the dating market, which is affecting my dating life, which may have impacted my marital status. I mean, the, the so marriage it's the rate... Cupid, it's the OkCupid rankings. It's nothing to do with you. I mean, seriously, that, that's your argument? That, that you're helpless in the face of women's misperception about how attractive guys are, and that's why you're having trouble in the dating market? I can tell you that's not the reason. That's not the reason at all. I'm not saying it helps. I'm not saying it's completely irrelevant, but it's not the fundamental reason. Well, of course not. Okay, no, then let's stop talking about it, and let's start talking about the fundamental reasons. What's the longest relationship, romantic relationship that you've had, Mike? Well, I'd rather not. I'd rather not delve too far into my. No, it's. I just need one number. Number of months, six months, twelve months, three months. The longest one you've had. Two years, maybe. Maybe. What do you mean? Year and a half to two. I don't know. I I don't measure these things. Uh, a year. Okay. And a half. So okay, let's say year and a half. Okay, so you got eighteen months, right? And was this um, local or long distance? Local. Okay. And did you ever talk marriage in that relationship? Yes. You did, okay. And how old were you when this was going on? Just roughly, early 30s, late 20s? This was late 30s. Late 30s, okay. So late 30s, you find a woman, you're with her for a year and a half, this is the longest relationship you've had, you've talked marriage, and then what happened? I don't think that I was my feelings were strong enough where I wanted to get married to her. So you didn't really love her? I did, but not in the... You thought someone better was could come along, right? No, no. I mean... No, 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 no. Of course you did. Because if you were with this woman and she was the best you could get and you enjoyed it for a year and a half, why not keep going? Because I think you can love if you spend enough time with someone you're going to develop a bond whether or not you you love them like someone you want to marry you you have you care for them and so forth but i did not want to get married to her why not saying you didn't have strong enough feelings that's tautological right why didn't i want to marry her because i didn't want to marry her what was wrong with her or with you or your compatibility that you didn't want to Stay with her. Did you break up with her? Well, she ended it when, I think, when she realized it wasn't going to go where she wanted it to go. Yeah, that you stole a woman's fertility at the end of, was she in her late 30s too? Uh, no, she was 34 to 35. Oh, man, you know, that's kind of a jerk move, right? Well, that's hence my question. No, Is, I want you to actually have a conscience about this. You know that's kind of a jerk move to dick around with a woman when her eggs are failing and not marry her.
I don't know. I, I think that's a more complicated question than you're allowing. No, it's not. No, it's not at all complicated. Did she want to have children? I think she did, eventually. You think she did. You guys, what, she's in her mid-30s, you never talked about whether to have children or it, whether she wanted children. There are women... What the, what the fuck do people talk about? You were with her for a year and a half. The whole point of dating is to put your genitals together to make children. She's in her mid-30s, and you never talked once about children. I'm, j- I'm not trying to corner you. I'm just like, I'm just astounded. Talked about that on my second date when I was in my 30s. Well, I think things have, things have changed quite a bit. And women are not. You're not that much younger than me, my friend. <laughs> Don't pull the I'm the next generation of people who are a tiny bit younger than me. But you're six years younger than me. Don't tell me that the planet completely changed in six years. I've dated women from late who are from their late 40s to their early 20s and I can see the generational changes like tree rings and like oh the- my god man it's you stop talking about the women it's you if you want to be empowered stop blaming the women it's you I ask you again with this woman 18 months right at the tail end of her fertility or her where it really begins to decline and you have no idea whether she wanted children. You never talked about it with her. I think she did. But that, that means you never talked about it with her, because then you wouldn't think you'd know. Did you talk about marriage together? Yes. Okay. How long were you going out, roughly, before you talked about marriage with this woman? Uh, probably about a year. A year, okay. And was the conversation something along the lines of she saying, I would like to get married, and you saying what? Um, I never, I never told her that I would. Yeah, but you're giving me a negative when I asked you what you said. What did you say? I don't remember. I think I told her... I, I know I did not lead her on. <sighs> okay, so this is a, I mean, this tells me that she was a low quality woman. Sorry to be so blunt. Maybe you've got different memories of her because sex or companionship or whatever you want to call it. But any woman with half a goddamn brain, Mike, if she's in her mid-30s, does not date a guy for a year before even vaguely bringing up the prospect of marriage. Because she's not 18. She's no, 34. No, they, they think that... I don't know if you've been dating in... No, no, no. They, not they, they women as a Definitely. whole. These are women that you're dating. The, no. Not the, women as a whole. There are lots of women out there who are very aware of the biological clock and aren't no. stupid and don't defer and don't just flop out and go all rubber bones and just no. let things happen to them. You, these are the women that you're dating. They're not all women. No. In New York, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles... The, this is how 35-year-old women are now. It is. How they, do you know? Because I, I've lived in these cities. Okay, and you're dating the women you're dating. You are not a statistical cross-section of the female population. These are women who are willing to put up with you. The only women 
the only way I could avoid these types of women is if I went on to uh, if I started dating very religious women. No, oh, fuck. dude, Mike, Mike, Mike. For God's sakes, I know you're 43, but crack a habit or two. You might get something valuable out of this if you stop defending everything you're doing and trying to convince me everything you're doing is right, and that somehow you have a cross section of all women. You are dating. Women who are not assertive about what they need. If this woman wanted to get married, she should not wait for a year before trying to find out if you're even remotely interested and not wait for another six months to find out that you're not. That is a low-quality, passive, lazy-ass woman who does not know how to be assertive about what she wants and needs. And you're willing to put up with that. Tells me a lot about you. That is not all women. There are very assertive, very positive, very clear women. Some of them have called into this show. God love them. And they would not put up with this fogginess. For, I mean, it's driving me crazy. You'll maybe hear this when you listen back, right? But I'm a pretty assertive person. I'm going to say what I think. How do you know, how do you know what she really wanted? Maybe she wanted to date a higher value guy for a year so that when she's 37, 38, she could find the nice guy to save her. Because you have dated dozens of women before her. You've broken up with all of them, or they've broken up with you. You had relationships lasting a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Now, an intelligent woman who comes into that situation knows that you lack the skills to maintain a relationship. You lack, it, it, it's like if, if you're hiring someone, and they come in and they say, I've had 40 jobs since I was 18. None of them have lasted more than a few months. What would you think? Do you think that person would be a good hire or not such a good hire? Oh, and it's never my fault. <laughs> but women keep dating me. No, no, you, you're jumping out of the conversation and you're doing the vanity card. So if a guy comes in to, to work for you and he says, I've had 40 jobs since I was 18, none of them have lasted, they've all been a few weeks to a few months. I either get fired or I quit within a few weeks to a few months. What would you think about that person as an employee? Okay, well, I mean, the, that... stay, stay in the question. What would you think of that person as an employee? I'm trying to help you understand how a quality woman is going to think. Okay, well, we know the answer. Okay, what is the answer? The answer is that that's not a good that person employee. to hire, okay. right? Because that person doesn't know how to have a career. Dating is a job. Marriage is a career. Okay, now what if you're... And if so all somebody has done is just hop from job to job and quit whenever it gets tough or get fired whenever they don't mm -hmm. do a good job and they just move on to the... They're not building career skills. What if I'm hiring, if I'm trying to hire someone? And, or what if, what if the person, what if they're trying to hire someone, okay? And... Sorry, who's they? The, let's say the women, in using your analogy, and their criteria for hiring someone is the sexiest, richest, most entertaining, funny guy that they can get in their door at that moment. Then they're low-quality women. Oh, well, that's, that's the decision. And that tells me that you cannot attract a high-quality woman. And you're low-rent scavenging, you're bottom-feeding, among shallow, stupid, not assertive, idiotic women.
and you say, this is all women. I find that offensive. I have a wife I love. I have a daughter who's wonderful. I have female friends who are great. And they'd kick your ass to the curb. Because you think that the women you're choosing are the women who put up with you. Because you're handsome. That this is somehow all women. And I'm trying to break you of that so that you can start to think about a life with a quality woman rather than whatever detritus you're able to scoop up with your chiseled <laughs> jawline. I think you're making a lot of judgments that aren't quite right. I never said that all women are that way. I think I've qualified that this whole time. Okay, good. Then let's stop talking about the trashy women you're dating and start talking about how you can attract a quality woman. And I don't think I've... I think you're making assumptions that I'm dating trashy women. That's not true either. Okay. I'm, Less quality, if I'm, you want to put it that way. We can get, we can spend time splitting hairs, or we can actually get you into some quality relationship here. It's not that there's anything wrong with them. They're educated. Yes, they're yes, smart. yes, yes. There are things wrong with them. There are things wrong with them because they're not assertive about what they need, and they're dating you out of shallow vanity. And they're not doing what is going to make them happy. No woman in her 30s, her 20s, Godlin, no woman in her 30s should be involved with a guy for a year before, if she wants to get married, even broaching the subject of marriage. That is ridiculous. That is the actions of a 14-year-old, not a 34-year-old. I, I agree fully. Okay, good. So let's have you stop dating women like that and have you start setting your sights a little higher. An assertive woman who's going to tell you what she needs, who's going to make demands upon you, who's going to have standards of behavior that are higher than the women you've been dating. Where do these women live? Because I have well, met, I have not met them. I know you I've haven't lived met all them. all over the U.S. I know I you haven't met them, them because of who you are. The women that I'm meeting are, they want... I know that. Want, Listen, I get that. They want I get travel. That. I find if I only speak Japanese, I end up speaking with a lot of Japanese they want, people. They want beautiful men, and they want wealthy men, and they want famous men. Right. Those are the women I'm Because you're, de you're dating trash. No, these are not trashy yes. women. These are yes. educated they are, women. Look, if they want, come on, man, if they want fame and looks and money and pretty guy, I mean, that's trash. That, that's fine if you've got a Bon Jovi picture on your wall and you're 13. It's, not, it's ridiculous when you're in your 30s, right? So these are the women you're dating. These are the women you're around. And the problem is, my friend, that you're 43 years old, and it seems that most of what you have to bring to the table is a pretty face. That's pretty tragic. No, I And think that's, that's why little, you're not I meeting think that's a little in, women. That's a little insulting, I think. I don't think but that's... It's, it's, it's empirical. How so? Because you haven't dated a quality woman. I don't... In that's 43 years. That's not true then why aren't you married? We've been, we've been talking about that. Right. And I'm telling you why you're, why you're not married. Is that you're coasting on your looks, you're coasting on your money, you're coasting on your body, you're coasting on your charisma, which doesn't strike me, but obviously strikes the women, right? So you're, you're coasting and you're getting easy pickings. You're not learning how to negotiate with an equal, you're not learning how, because you, you date down a little bit, which means that the women are hungry for you and the women are hypergamous and the women are insecure and the women don't know how to be assertive because they're afraid they're gonna drive you away because you're such a catch. I get all of that. 
And you can sit around trolling all of this stuff and you can get your easy lays out of this sort of shit. Or you can get serious and try and find a quality woman to have a great relationship with. Who's going to challenge you? Who's going to like the very fact that we're having this conversation, Mike, tells me so much about your prior relationships because you don't seem to know this stuff, which means you haven't been challenged on this stuff. No, what I said earlier in the call is that I have dated women that I felt strongly about. And when they sense that vulnerability and that I'm not elusive and I'm not a bad boy anymore to them because they can tell how into them I am, they get excited by someone who is elusive and is a bad boy and who won't get serious with them. Right. These are the women that you choose to date. Well, I thought you said you, I only you, date so this is not all women. These women. are the women you choose to date. And these are the women that you have the skills to handle. You don't have the skills to either attract or interact with or handle a quality woman. I'm telling you this because you're 43 well, and you're a big boy and you can hear it. Apparently, well, I mean, obviously, if, if I were very, very wealthy, very famous and... Uh, uh, where Tom, you know, look look like you could uh, get Tom Johnny Cruise. Depp's wife. <laughs> I could get a prize like Johnny Depp's wife. She's not a prize. I was being she sarcastic. She filed for divorce three days after his mother died or his father died or something, and then she took him for twenty million dollars for a marriage that lasted fifteen months, and they basically were only together for a couple of months. I was being She's sarcastic. Not a quality woman. The odds that Johnny Depp physically abused her are probably about one percent. Oh no! I I I. I <laughs> The moment I hear this kind of stuff, I just automatically assume it's all lies, like from the woman, right? I mean, that's just where I am because I can process information. So, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna close it down. I just you know have a listen over this again. Uh, I am a pretty assertive person, and I'm I'm doing this out of affection for you and, and hope for your future. Um, but you are not someone that's easy to have a direct conversation with. You know, like I had an easier time talking about race and IQ with a fine Hispanic fellow than talking about your penis dragging you off a cliff of low-rent women. So um, well, you mean, don't have I think a lot of skills for these I kinds think, of direct conversations. No, I think if, 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 if you're going to insult me, then we're not going to have a good exchange. I think you've, okay. you've been insulted. All right. Well, that's that's certainly where you are, and I'm, you know, certainly sorry. I certainly didn't mean to sort of say you're a bad guy. I'm just trying to shock you into. I'd be more gentle if you were younger, but if you want to get married, you should probably want to do it sooner rather than later. But I do appreciate the conversation. I think well, it's very you, interesting. Let me ask you a final question. If of course you think it would be better that I marry someone that I'm not really in love with, just so I, whatever. I don't think so. I don't. I don't even think you know what the word love means, frankly. If you want me to be, if you want me to be honest with you. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, how, how love is our involuntary response to virtue, to to a, a glorious human being who has courage and nobility and heroism and and strength and directness and is willing to challenge us. Have you dated someone like that? I've had a dog. I would describe that way, but. All right. Well, I guess you're going to have to end up marrying your dog like a lot of women marry their cats. So thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate that. Also wanted to point out that 
women's happiness as a whole has been declining every single decade since the Second World War, in America at least. Women's happiness has been declining. And um, now white women's lifespan is actually starting to shrink. One in four middle-aged women in America are on antidepressants. Something is desperately wrong with the state of femininity. I'm not saying it's all, Mike, <laughs> but it is a um, uh, it is a reality that um, you know, race relations are bad. Gender relations are bad. Uh, races are, are generally, uh, and ethnicities are, are pretty unhappy all around the board. Both oh, men so and women not are just yeah, happy. Uh, still talking. Both men and women are all pretty unhappy around the board, and uh, this is something that we need to address. And what we have to do has got to be something different than what we have done in the past, which is what I was trying to challenge. Uh, Mike with, but what we all need to do, just try something different than than what we've been doing in the past. That's our best hope for a better future. But thanks everyone so much for a wonderful and exciting and thrilling conversation. Thank you for resouping my energy, which was at a tad of a low ebb after a pretty long day of work, but I uh, still got a groove back. And um, if you are just listening to this and uh, you want to try out a little something that's different. First, I mean, had a great chat with our good friend, uh, Paul Joseph Watson uh, today on on the British exit on the Brexit and and the Euro and he's great um, as so please please check that out when it gets out. Also, we uh, had a little something from the archives <laughs> called "Dear Liberal Hypocrites," uh, which Mike's um, very competent and funny editing uh, made made it better uh, than than I could have imagined. I think so, my procrastination. <laughs> And editing it just, you know, like, September of last year with fine wine, it grew better with age. <laughs> That's right. I thought we were going to keep it back for like my funeral or something. But yeah, I recorded a whole bunch of stuff last last September and it's just sort of been sitting around. And uh, Mike, you just did a great, great job. I actually watched the second one today. Um, link arms, Libya. But anyway, it's 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 great. So go check it out. It's at YouTube.com slash free domain radio. It's called the Dear Liberal hypocrites and um the fact that it's doing better than my brexit presentation does not make me at all enraged about the world oh wait maybe it does no i'm just kidding it's it's very good and uh it was uh, very funny uh, fun to work on and uh i hope it was reasonably fun to edit mike because you might be getting more <laughs> so um people should check that out please please come to our donation website at uh, freedomateradio.com slash donate to help out the show uh you can follow me uh, at Stefan Molyneux on Twitter and uh, FDRURL.com slash Amazon for the affiliate link and FDR podcast. Of course, if you're watching this on video, please like, subscribe, and share everything that we're doing and make the world that much of a better place. Mwah! Thanks to all the listeners. Thanks again to Mike for setting up a wonderful show. We'll talk to you soon.